This is Unfilter, episode 203 for September 9th, 2016. Good morning. Well, in a 90-minute meeting with Vladimir Putin, President Obama tried to salvage a ceasefire deal in Syria, but he's walking away empty-handed. President Obama had hoped to broker a groundbreaking deal with Vladimir Putin to coordinate airstrikes against ISIS and al-Qaeda-linked terrorists in Syria. But at the last minute, Russia pulled back. Welcome again to another episode of Unfilter, and on this special edition, I'm going to finally uh, give my first press conference in about 300 plus days, Uh, so I'm willing to take questions from the floor and everybody in the chat room, and Chris as well. Uh, So uh, go ahead and uh, throw out your questions, Chris. Uh, Mr. Chase... (coughs) I I had just had one question. Do you, oh, do you need to step uh, out? Uh, hold on, I need to get some water. Okay, all right. Well, boy, while you're getting some water, I'll tell you what we got coming up on today's episode. It's really kind of a packed show. You would think. Uh, that would, feels so much better. You'd think we'd have nothing to talk about except for um, Donald Trump. If you just looked at the sheer volume of news about one particular human being, but no, we managed to have some very fascinating stories from the cyber territory. In yes, fact, lots of cyber. Yeah, NSA and Snowden update. Ooh. And there is some um, really interesting news from the quote-unquote sidelines at G20 we'll be getting into, as well as Obama versus the president of the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about this. And yes. uh, there is some election stuff we'll get to. But we'll yes. start uh, We'll start with cyber. you ready to cyber? I, you know what? ASL, buddy. Let's do it. Let's do it. So there is a lot about Snowden coming out this week. And I caught a big article, which I have linked in the show notes that covers the most fascinating moments right after the Snowden revelations. When we first started talking about the Snowden leaks, Snowden was MIA. We had the dump. We had the uh, the stories over at The Guardian and other places. But Snowden himself was completely unheard of. We, we uh, was, was, was totally silent. He was in hiding, which is why when he started actually coming out and doing hangouts and tweeting, it was a big contrast. Like, yeah. is this really him? Because he's been so silent. This clip ex- kind of explains what was going on in Snowden's life during that real early day, really early, really early days after those initial leaks, and some of the places he had to, had to go to to hide. He worked with a lawyer that was set up via Hong Kong, who was out of Canada. Wow, who had clients okay. who were political refugees, and so he hid Snowden among the refugees. The strategy I took was to put him in a location where. Nobody would look. Considering that Ed was now an asylum seeker seeking refugee status and the fact that I have up to 70 refugee clients. So this article is linked in the show notes where they talk about the different families that he jumped around between and moved in with for a short period of time. It just made sense to put him in with the refugee community. Uh, These were people who faced persecution, cruel and inhuman degrading treatment. Uh, or punishment, and torture. He said that uh, they need my help. They would have uh, runners that would go in and bring thumb drives to Snowden so he could uh, reply to information and then send it back to them, and it would all be offline. Wow. Yeah, it's fat. The whole clip is, is in the supporter sync if you guys want to watch it, but they also the story is linked in the show notes. 
That kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, he actually, you know, he had to hop around so much and be off the grid. Yeah, totally. And I guess at one point they talk about in the story, cops started coming down and looking for people, and, and because the Hong Kong authorities had been alerted by the U.S. that they suspected Snowden was in that area, they never came and found. They never came in the house that he was in. But there were some tense moments that are all described in the article. Wow. And then it also talks about getting trapped in Russia. So that's with that context. It's really interesting now because we've just got another batch of Snowden leaks. People are still doling this stuff out. Newly released documents from whistleblower Edward Snowden have shed light on U.S. spying operations from a base in the U.K. The leaks also include details of how the surveillance gathered there contributed to American targeted killings in the Middle East and North Africa. For more on the story, let's cross live to RT's correspondent, Harry Fear. Welcome, Harry. Now, the work of Menworth Hill has been shrouded in secrecy for years. So what have we learned following these Snowden leaks? Well, very interesting revelations today about the use of this uh, rather special, it seems, uh, American overseas military installation in the Yorkshire Hills here in England, protected 24 hours a day by British military police. And uh, I thought it was interesting, too, is the British military police are the ones that are protecting it. But it's an NSA facility. And it looks like some of the other NSA facilities we've seen, which are listening stations. The names, code names of the operations we now know run out of that facility. Facility, Ghost Hunter, Ow! Ghost Wolf, my favourite, Moon Penny. What's and they there? were spying on <laughs> millions of cell phone calls internationally, among other forms of communication. And that information was then used to influence the outcomes of capture-kill operations to eliminate terrorist cells in Afghanistan and Iraq, but also in nations where the US is not officially at war, such as in Yemen, where, of course, there is a very bloody record of civilian casualties as a result of the controversial drone assassination program there. Now, this raises questions then about how much the UK knew about how this base was being used and questions arising of potential complicity of UK officials uh, uh, over how information gathered there. Chase, there may have been some gambling going on in the establishment. What? Then influence the outcomes of potentially internationally illegal drone assassinations uh, in other states. Uh, now, uh, GCHQ, the UK's uh, equivalent of the NSA, isn't elaborating on the specifics uh, of what's going on. But speaking about its own operations, it said uh, that they continue in a legal and policy framework and are in accordance uh, with the European Convention on Human Rights. And for its part, the uh, Director of National Intelligence's office, uh, it has said to The Intercept, holding this exclusive story today, uh, that all intelligence service men and women are operating in a strict legal framework where there are laws, policies and guidelines. Interesting uh, similar language between the two sides of the pond there and why they do this. Uh, I thought it was kind of fascinating that uh, they were surveilling so many cell phones, coordinating drone strikes. It also in the Intercept article implies that uh, this may have been the facility where the concept of collect it all and and sort it later was born. Oh, really? And it was where this concept, because they were just collecting all of the calls there, right. they, and they just well, this is how we should do it everywhere. And uh, that was an interesting part, which is uh, linked in the show notes as well. So there's a big concern. 
We've been sussing it out for a few weeks, and that is the Russians getting involved in U.S. elections. Because who knows what could happen, Chase? A tightening presidential race tonight with a background of growing concerns about Russian efforts to sow serious doubt in the U.S. electoral system. And we're not letting you forget it because we do stories about it every single day. Every hour on the hour. Whatever warning President Obama delivered to Russian leader Vladimir Putin about staying out of U.S. politics may not have had much of effect yet, according to U.S. officials. Just one day after their icy stare down in China, there are new indications from U.S. <laughs> intelligence officials that Putin's cyber spies are actively trying to disrupt the November election <laughs> and attack other American interests around the world. Kevin Cork is traveling with the president and reports tonight from Laos. So we got cyber spies, Chase, okay. and uh, they want to sow into the American public concerns about the election results. Got it. With Election Day a mere two months away, U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies are investigating a possible Russian plot to convince Americans to distrust the voting outcome in November. Now, uh, I've actually read the public statement by these uh, officials. Okay. So no, right. no official has gone on record. All right. They, they cite these unnamed officials where they say they are concerned about Russia doing this. All right. Then to back all of this up, the the real the real um, cherry picked like key quote they have is your good friend, my good buddy Clapper, the DNI ah, guy, Clapper. the director of all the different intelligence agencies, the guy who lied to Congress about spying on the American public before the Snowden leaks, and then nothing happened. Um, he said, if Russia were trying to manipulate our elections, that would be a cause for major concern. Then unrelated, he said, we are constantly investigating Russia's cyber operations against the U.S. Two separate statements. And what the media has done is combine these two of statements they have. to of say course. that the director of national intelligence has these concerns. That's what they're doing here. Laos. With Election Day a mere two months away, U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies are investigating a possible Russian plot to convince Americans to distrust the voting outcome in November, even before the first ballots have been cast. Just last week, U.S. officials reported that election systems in Illinois and Arizona have been hacked and that Russia was most likely responsible. Russian hackers... Also not true, not necessarily true, not necessarily proved at all. Last week, we talked about how they use SQL map and open source. Well, that's why they're saying most likely. And they use there was also just a free tool to do website vulnerability scans. Anybody could have done it. A local resident who wants to commit ID theft could have done those hacks. There is no necessary connection, no specific connection to Russia. That Russia was most likely responsible. But they Russian just say that. And I don't care if it is Russia. In fact, man, let me just be clear here for a second. Let me be clear, as Hillary says. Let me be clear. It would be so great for this show if it was actually Russians, just as turn, just as far as content goes and analysis <laughs> and right. what it would mean for coverage. Like if it's actually Russia hacking these things, it it might be bad for America's democracy, but it is a 100 percent net win for this show in terms of interesting content. content. So I'm not I don't I don't if I have any dog in this hunt, it might be that would be my preference is it would make for better show content. Right. So when I'm telling you that there is nothing that links the, to, to Russia, I wish there was. Well, That'd be great. It, it, well, it just goes to show how much that the media companies are willing to spend 
to get the people to watch and the ratings and and to keep people so informed. This, this, I mean, remember what Fox's news is target audience here. Well, there go. I think the I think Fox goes after older gentlemen and women on the right, absolutely, who are predominantly likely to be Trump supporters. Do yeah. You agree? Oh, totally. And Fox is a Trump friendly network. Trump yeah. pretty much limits all of his media exposure to Fox. And here's what I don't understand is and this is just throwing out there, but my conspiracy bacon on this. Mm, yep, that is definitely from Renton. My conspiracy bacon has been twofold. The Russian the, the Russian memes serve the Hillary Clinton campaign in two ways. The the first way connecting Trump to Russia makes him seem risky, dangerous. And if if he won the election, they could then raise the question well, how do we know the Russians didn't impact that vote? Right. How do we know it wasn't the Russians? So it seems like they've been laying out this narrative for a long time as like a plan B because she's got a machine behind her. The other thing that I find to be kind of kind of interesting is now there's folks like Nancy Pelosi who are saying if you report or if you use the content of the DNC leak against Hillary Clinton, or you report on the content of the DNC link because it was the Russians that released it, that's anti-American. Nancy Pelosi said that today. Right. Yep. You are being anti-American by using the contents of those leaks. Well, the contents of those leaks are condemning. They're damning. And so to be able to say it's anti-American because the Russians are the one that leaked it, right. that's pretty damn convenient. And it also seems like you're building a narrative that if Trump were to win, you'd say, well, the Russians... The Russians got involved with the election because the Russians like Trump. But that last part kind of goes out the window because Fox is the one that's really pushing this right now. That's true. And Fox is pro-Trump. November, even before the first ballots have been cast. Just last week, U.S. officials reported that election systems in Illinois and Arizona had been hacked and that Russia was most likely responsible. Russian hackers have also been blamed for intrusions into records of the House Democrats campaign organization and the Democratic National Committee, the latter of which was exposed by WikiLeaks and led to the resignation of DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Amongst others. The fact that our intelligence professionals are now studying this and taking it seriously raises uh, some uh, grave questions about potential Russian interference uh, with our electoral process. See what I'm saying? It's the Clinton campaign that's right. It seems like this serves their narrative. In an interview, Russian President Vladimir Putin rejected suggestions that the Kremlin had any rooting interest in the outcome of the American election this fall and shouldn't be blamed for any cyber incursions. It, uh, this is very difficult to verify, if not completely impossible to verify. At a state level, we are definitely not involved in this. The effort to better understand what many believe is a covert Russian campaign is being coordinated by the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, who is yet to comment on the probe. But a senior U.S. intelligence official not named has told the Washington Post Russia's activity is something we're looking very closely at. Wouldn't that be true 24-7, yeah. 365 days? You could say that about a lot of countries. I would hope. It's something yeah. they're closely watching constantly. Yeah, that's their, they're doing their job. Exactly. Yeah. And while no definitive proof of tampering has been found, even the hint of something impacting the security of our election system would be of a significant concern. You see how these are two separate statements? These are two separate things. And this is the same thing they did with, with Clapper. Now, this isn't even Clapper. This is, an, uh, this is the unnamed official I mentioned earlier. News of the investigation comes as President Obama addressed the subject directly with Putin at the G20 summit this week in China. Mr. Obama said the United States didn't want to engage in some Wild West cyber war with Moscow and warned 
warned neither should the Kremlin. Our goal is not to suddenly, in the cyber arena, duplicate uh, a cycle of escalation really? that we saw when it comes to uh, you know, other arms races in the past. So we just played that clip where the NSA scooped up the phone calls of everybody around them. I mean, the, we, have, we, are literally, we have literally been outed as a worldwide hackers, and yet we are always the ones that are doing all of the name-calling and attribution. Right. yeah. And then he says, we don't want... Then he has the nuts to stand up there and say, well, we don't want to cause an arms race. Full of escalation. Escalation. That we saw when it comes to, uh, you know, other arms races in the past, uh, but rather to start instituting some norms so that... Uh, everybody's acting responsibly. I think the era of resets is over. And of course, that's a Hillary Clinton line. So there you go. There is a little bit of the uh, whole Russian trying to interfere with the election scare that is currently being turned up to 11. And, uh, you know, you got to imagine uh, the folks over at RT, they're having a rough time, <laughs> I Chase. Bet, I bet. They're having a rough time. It's just so rough, right? Because, you know, they're yeah. like, look, there's so many things you could come at us with, but this, I, we don't understand. Russia is once again being accused of trying to influence the U.S. presidential election. This time, American intelligence officials are apparently looking into what they see as a possible covert operation with the goal of creating public distrust of the voting system. Our Washington correspondent, Guyana Chichikan, has the story. The Washington Post is citing unnamed U.S. intelligence officials and congressional staffers who say that intelligence and law enforcement agencies are looking into, quote, what they see as a broad covert Russian operation in the United States to sow public distrust in the upcoming presidential election and in U.S. political institutions. Hacking, be very afraid. Cyber hackers, computers are dangerous. End quote. The Post then elevates the story to the level of the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, by saying that he is looking into, quote-unquote, Russia's covert influence operations. Without clarifying what they mean by influence operations, the Post goes on to write about potential hacking of election systems with a caveat. Quote, the official cautioned that the intelligence community is not saying it has definitive proof of such tempering or any Russian plans to do so. But even the hint of something impacting the security of our election system would be of significant concern, the official said. End quote. Well, even though... The Post admits there is no evidence that Russia has or plans to tamper with the U.S. election process. It propels the fear that Russia may potentially do so. And with that, prompting the question, who's really sowing public distrust in the upcoming presidential election? Another insinuation is that Russia was responsible for the leak of thousands of emails of the Democratic Party, which showed that the party that claimed to be neutral to its candidates used its resources to undermine Bernie Sanders. Again, no evidence that Russia was behind the leaks. But the allegations helped the Democratic Party and the Clinton campaign to change the subject from the content of the leaks to Russia. And that does seem the to have been the case, right? Yeah. There, we, that's what we've, that's, <clears throat> there was. We've been saying that. Yeah. And we've tried like, to. Look over here, look over here. We've tried to talk about the content of the leaks, and we have talked about the content of the leaks, but the, the, the narrative seems to continue to serve another purpose. The content of the leaks was public outrage to the extent that the chairwoman of the Democratic Party was forced to resign. And the DNC emails did affect 
many people's trust in the political process. But many were mindful of the fact that whoever leaked the emails did not write them. And these are only the latest in a series of allegations against Moscow. Last week, a cyber attack was conducted on electoral systems in at least two U.S. states. And a statement from the FBI said an unknown actor was responsible. However, American media outlets singled out Russia as the perpetrator without any evidence. One U.S. official stated that this was the closest they'd come to tying Moscow to the hacks. But again, there was no actual evidence, only allegations. It hasn't really, really something yeah. to watch it. Yeah. yeah. There you go, Chase. How do you like your uh, How do you like your cyber update this week? You know, it, it feels like it's. It feels. Like I wish. I wish we actually had proof. Mm. I, you know, just like yeah. nip it in the bud. Yeah. Is it true? Is it not true? Oh, don't insinuate. It, and, I think it. Uh, the, the thing is, it, it, when you look at it, it, you have to look at who is it serving the most. And I still think I don't know why uh, they. I don't know all. I don't. I can't. I can only guess what their motivations are, but when you look at who it seems to serve the most, it seems to serve the Clinton campaign the most. Because the other thing, not only are you not talking about the DNC leaks, but you're also there's just less conversation happening about her emails and, and and Benghazi and all that stuff in the first place. It's just dominating more of the conversation, and people are talking about this, which promotes Hillary Clinton and her strong talk on Putin now for the last couple of years, and it seems to be. That's if that's all they get out of this, that's worth it to them. Right. Which is a, which is a crime. It just just seems like it should be a crime. All right. Uh, did you hear the big news that uh, your buddy down oh, in uh, friend? Who? yeah your, yeah Kim Jong down in North Korea? Oh. He, he's got some fireworks. Kim Jong-un. South Korea says Pyongyang has fired oh, three. I mean, <laughs> sorry, sorry. South Korea, South Korea. No, no, no. North Korea. No, South Korea says. Oh, oh, okay. I thought she said. Oh, okay. I thought she said it the other way around. South Korea says Pyongyang has oh, fired okay. three says. ballistic missiles into the sea off its east coast. CNN's Paul Hancock is live in Seoul, South Korea, with the details on this. So, Paula, what all do we know so far about these three ballistic missiles that were fired by North Korea, and how long will it likely be before we know the capability of these missiles? Rosemary, we're just getting some more information now from the Joint Chiefs of Staff here in Seoul. Uh, and they say they believe that they flew around 1,000 kilometres, uh, saying that they are assumed to be Rodong mid-range missiles, uh, and that they believe that they were actually fired into Japan's air defence identification zone, uh, so the air zone that, uh, that Japan monitors uh, for its own security, uh, and also saying that there was no prior navigational warning uh, for these launches. No, I got a, I got a theory. It's a message. It's, it's a message. <laughs> yeah. They're like, hey, look at us. We're still here. There's a message there. I think it relates to the G20 summit. We'll get there in a bit. But I wanted to stick on world events for a little bit longer. Well, sure. I guess G20 is very, very much a world event. But totally. before we get to the G20, I, I wanted to do a little update on Turkey. All right. Today, Turkey again deployed tanks inside Syria to target positions held by Islamic State militants. Twenty Turkish tanks backed by artillery entered northern Syria about 35 miles from where Turkish forces first crossed into the country 10 days ago. Turkey says its military has no plans to stay in Syria, but aims to protect its border from ISIS and separatist Kurdish militias. We've been talking about this uh, border, Turkey Turkey struck a deal with Russia and at the same time struck a deal with the U.S. So the U.S. backed up on our backed off on our support for the Kurds and uh, Turkey and Russia go after their border and try to reinforce that Turkey border between Turkey and Syria. And they were successful. Farther to the north, Turkey says it has driven ISIS out of towns along the Turkish Syrian border. 
According to Turkish state media, the terror group has reportedly lost control of its last bit of territory in that border region. A Turkish military official tells CNN that turf is now under the control of the Free Syrian Army. Those FSA fighters with backing from the Turkish military captured more than a dozen villages over the weekend. The Turkish incursion launched from Kilis. Kilis. So good news for Turkey, I guess. Erdogan's feeling good about that as he got himself in there and uh, got everybody got that border reinforced. Jay's got that border. So Turkey is uh, feeling good again about that border. Nice. Their, new, their new buddy, buddy partnership with Russia worked out. And uh, that leaves us with the G20 Summit, which will wrap up our world coverage a on big, this. A big party happening Yeah, a big party. Big party with lots of expectations. Obama was nominally going there to talk to China about their aggressions, as we put it, in the South China Sea, about climate deals. But when you go to G20, it's not really about the economic stuff. What it's really about... The photo op. Well, yeah, that's... (laughs) Yes. Yes. Sir, I'm thinking about it in a marketing speak, because really... It is, though. What what other place do you get to see pictures of leaders with other leaders? But the secret reason, not really secret, but the real reason that the different quote-unquote leaders go there is because there's this thing called the sidelines. And everything happens Uh, on the sidelines. I thought you were going to say the duty-free shop. (laughs) Today, President Obama flew to Laos after a turbulent few days at the G20 summit in China. The president had hoped to strike a deal with Russia to stop the fighting in Syria. But that did not happen. Margaret Brennan is traveling with the president. President Obama left his 90-minute meeting with Vladimir Putin empty-handed. We haven't yet closed the gaps uh, in a way where we think uh, it would actually work. Putin pulled back at the last minute from a ceasefire deal in Syria, turning down a U.S. offer to coordinate airstrikes against ISIS and al-Qaeda-linked terrorists. Now, they're not being very clear here, but there, there appears to be a few things at play. I think it comes down to specifically they're trying to get both sides to agree on which which group to go after. The U.S. wants Russia to stop bombing the guys that we're backing, paying, and training. But Russia still sees those people as terrorists. That Mr. Obama would even consider making such an extraordinary proposal shows how powerful Vladimir Putin has become. Good evening, everybody. Now, this is a kind of an interesting thing, this whole G20 summit, because... The optics are a big part of it, and uh, there's also some behind-the-scene things that happen. So when leaders have meetings, there's sometimes messages that get sent to them. So Assad doesn't attend G20, but Assad can send Obama a meeting. So after Putin and Obama wrap up their meeting and are not successful on their Syria peace talks, there's a message that uh, was sent to the Obama administration on the battlefield. Now to war-torn Aleppo, Syria, where government forces have launched a new offensive against rebels. So after Obama and Putin's discussion goes nowhere, Assad's troops, all of a sudden, uh, just like right on cue. Boom. State media reporting Syrian troops recaptured some military academies southwest of the city. According to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, Syrian forces backed by allies are trying to reimpose a siege of rebel-held areas in the east and a rebel fighter tells CNN they have succeeded in doing so. So there's, they have uh, the uh, U.S.-backed rebels under siege. And also around the same time, a Russian fighter jet buzzes... 
a uh, U.S. spy plane. Senior defense official tells Fox News a Russian jet buzzed a U.S. Navy spy buzzed. plane today Bzz. over the Black Sea. The Black Sea being north of Turkey, south of Ukraine. So this is Dang, keep it buzzing. Yeah, this is a uh, this is obviously I think a message. These kind of these two events happen right after uh, Putin and Obama's meeting flops. It feels like it's on the battlefield. There, this is their response to me. It's a little childish, though. You mean the whole plane buzzing thing and all that? I mean, what's what's that really to prove that uh, we're here? We're, this is our space. You right, go. You, yeah. you got to respectify respect the authority. Yeah, you got to respectify our authority. So, anyways, there you go. All right, there you go. There you go. There's our little uh, there's our little Russia update. But before we go right out of the uh, total world events, we we have to talk about we have to talk about this guy from the Philippines. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's been called the Donald Trump of the Philippines. I don't know if that's true, but uh, I don't know. I tell you what, he made me giggle. Hello, the Philippines president has just missed out on the chance for a meeting with Barack Obama. Oh. But then if you call the president of the United States a son of a whore, you should probably expect some diplomatic blowback. Rodrigo Duterte. <laughs> Did you hear about this? <laughs> I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, called him, uh, called him a son of a whore, uh, which, you know, you could translate that to possibly the B word, too, if if you want to. Uh, so that's that didn't go well. And after that, they called well, things off. Hear about this? What a dust up. He says now that he is expressing regret for the harsh words that he used about President Obama. The fiery language coming on coming after the United States criticized the new Philippines president's human rights records. The Philippines president says he has been killing drug criminals in his country. The meeting that had been scheduled between the two leaders is now off. <laughs> yeah, you think? Uh, uh, I'm yeah. not going to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, he's. I guess the guy has a bit of a temper, and so when Obama was poking him about something, uh, he responded hard. He well, responded. Well, I mean, hard. to be fair, I mean, you know, we we all know that Hill Dog's a hawk, right? That's right. So <laughs> she's got the temper. She's going to pass the torch and continue it, or let's, he's going to pass the torch. Let's and thank she those hawks it. over at Unfilter.com/slash/Patreon. Wait, what? Pat? Jeez, I'm all backwards. Patreon.com/slash/Unfilter. Unfilter.com/slash/Patreon. Patreon. Patreon I don't even know what it is. I gotta go. I just can't even Uh-oh. do the show anymore. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Did I, did I stall Rage long enough? Quit. Were you able to get to your mail sack? Are you, uh, re- are you ready to do this thing, Chase? Let's go! Right, let's go! <laughs> That's right. It's time for Chase's sack. Thank Episode you. Thank you, patrons. Oh, three. Patreon.com slash unfilter, where you go to support this show and keep us on the air. We are a user-funded show. No ads. Because that would get a little awkward with what we talk about. And what's you see those you seen those new YouTube monetization rules? Or at least people are getting smacked with those new YouTube. Yeah, because it's sensitive conversation. Advertisers don't like it, Chase. That's no, why they don't. They want fluffy kitties and cute puppies. That's right. That's why we're funded by our audience. So what do we got in your sack, buddy? All right, we got some messages in from our Club 33ers. Thank you for supporting us at 33 or more per OMG, month. OMG, OMG, OMG. Message comes in from Remy Von Ilst. He says, hey, I just got my unfiltered poster yesterday. Hello. Shipping took a while. It was sent on the 18th of August, according to the package label. I think this is our, our, our gentleman in, in the Netherlands. Uh, he says, also, what would be the best way to contact JP to change the address since we're moving soon? Hmm. There is a way to message us, but you could also email Angela at Jupiter. Does she pull the address com. from the unfilter from the that that address yeah, there? Yeah, but usually okay. before she does a major swag item, typically she's done a post and be like, "I'm about to ship big swag." So Update. if you, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. fair good. 
Uh, Veratunda writes in and says, okay, not much really happening in the UK apart from the usual hysteria, but that I, uh, I did want to highlight the American exceptionalism that has been rampant this week. Oh. Aside from Clinton's stunningly war hack-like speech saying she would respond to suspected cyber attacks with a military response, the whole snub against Obama and China about him having to use the back stairs to leave the plane. China provides a rolling staircase for every arriving state leader, but the U.S. side complained that the driver doesn't speak English and can't understand the security instructions from the United States, so China proposed that we could assign a translator to sit beside the driver. But the U.S. side decided to turn down that proposal and said and insisted they said they did not need the staircase provided at the airport. Uh, basically, he strongly suspect that the word diplomacy, just like satire, is badly misunderstood in the American psyche. Tell me this. Is this just a problem with your politicians oh. and not the people, right? Anyway, looking forward to the show. Not sure when I'll be able to make it, if I'll make it to live, though. It's kind of late here. Uh, so, so, Chris... Oh wait, and that's the sack. Oh shoot! Hold on. There we go. We gotta. We gotta. And I gotta wrap it up. So tell, say it again. Say and it, it. that's the sack. Boom! All right. Now before we totally wrap up, I wanted to show you this. Look at this. This is the poster. Oh my god! I know. I saw a picture of it. Look that how great so that looks. Good. Right. So I got one in here for you, and, and it's in the. Where'd that roll go? It's you put it up here. Oh yeah, there's a poster in there for you. So you take that home with you there, Chase. All right. I so, gotta get that. I gotta get that framed. This is. Uh, see, look at this. Yeah, so we're showing it on the video if you're listening right now. Sorry for the awkward Beautiful. moment. But yeah. And that look great. So thank you, everybody out there, for supporting us at patreon.com slash unfilter. There is a great overtime coming up. Yeah, and by the way, if you support us at 33 or more per month, you too can put a letter inside my sack, and it will be right on the air. It could be telling us what's going on in your neck of the woods. If you have something you want to just kind of get a quick plug out there, you can do that too. We want to hear from you guys who support us at 33 or more per month. Just look for my Patreon posts, and you too can be a part of this. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. You ready to move on? Thank you, everybody, for supporting us. I just can't. Just, yes, I can't. I just can't. Um, you know, I you're usually pretty good at catching this. Although I don't know if you said anything on the show, but there has been a pattern with the Hillary Clinton big dumps. When you got a new email, Friday, or, yeah, Friday dumps, pretty close. Also breaking tonight for the fourth time since the Clinton email scandal broke, the government has dumped a big load of news on a holiday weekend, yep. only serving to reinforce the criticism that there's something they're hiding. <laughs> I just thought it was they have it, they, it happens on a Friday all the time. I'm gonna pull this up again. Also breaking tonight for the fourth. Break. So jumping ahead here, so just gonna leave this up on the screen for a second so we can look at this. Memorial Day, New Year's Eve, July fourth. You know what these all are? You know what you know what these all are? These are all moments when I've gone. Jeez, this some filter shows a lot of work. I keep working on the holidays. <laughs> That's what those are. These are all the times I've it's had like to work you're on trying the- to sneak it past <laughs> us, but you won't. You're making me work on the holidays, Hill Dog. So, with that, uh, let's get into some of the new things that have come out. You heard us talk about it last week. We were pretty much on the mark with these FBI documents that got released. There's probably a little bit of stuff to note, though, and this clip sums it up. New details have emerged on Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server during the time she was Secretary of State. The FBI released 58 pages of documents on Friday, including information about the Bureau's conversation with Clinton from their now-closed criminal investigation. But the release seems to bring more questions than answers. Uh Errol Barnett's in our Washington Bureau with more. Errol, good morning. 
Good morning. Yes, the FBI's unprecedented document release comes right before a Labor Day weekend, a type of bonus for Hillary Clinton's campaign who cannot seem to make this issue go away despite the FBI case being closed. Fewer than two months after the FBI announced no criminal charges against Hillary Clinton for her use of a private email server while Secretary of State... Our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Documents released late Friday show Clinton's memory was clouded during her three-and-a-half-hour interview with the FBI. Investigators showed Clinton classified emails from her personal account. Many she didn't remember. Clinton couldn't recall receiving any emails she thought should not be on an unclassified system and repeatedly said she relied on state officials to use their best judgment when handling classified information. What? The Secretary of State relied... Isn't isn't now? Why do they always say at the end of the day I take full responsibility for for my? The buck stops here. This is on me. But then whenever they get into a position like this, we're like, I well, just don't remember. I I, th- I expected my staff to I, know. You know, I've told them. I, I think I assume they were following. They the should policy. know. Should I do, should I be checking on that as somebody you know who's con- no? I believe them because I have complete trust in my uh, coworkers. Asked what C referred to on one email, Clinton quote stated she did not know and could only speculate it was referencing power. Paragraphs marked in alphabetical order. Now, now, how is this conceivably possible that this woman who has been working in government her entire adult life since she was a hippie yeah, teenager? They, they, they make these changes all the time, Chris. And, you know, it's hard to keep up with these changes. I mean, you are the secretary of state. I mean, you're traveling all over the world. First lady. Gathering your miles so and getting only, donations not, for the Clinton Foundation. I mean, not mind. only was her. So we always talk about whenever we cite Hillary Clinton's experience in the government, yeah. we always have a first lady, senator, secretary of state. But it actually started long before that, where she worked. She worked as a lawyer in several capacities inside the government and with Bill Clinton. The, the, this is this is this would be remarkable for a person to have been involved with government for as long as she has to not understand how these things work. It would be that would be unbelievable. Alphabetical order. End quote. FBI Director James Comey was critical of Clinton's server use. They were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. No evidence found suggested Clinton's server was successfully hacked, but the FBI couldn't be certain it wasn't in part because they didn't have access to the 13 smartphones the report found what? Clinton may have used. Yeah, it turns out uh, when you read through some of these emails, which it's funny they're not, they, they, could, they could mention this, that uh, Hillary would get pissed. She'd get confused on why her BlackBerry wasn't working and say, this damn BlackBerry isn't working, give me another one. And so they give her a new BlackBerry, but then pretty soon she'd get frustrated that the OS doesn't work right. So Who's then- paying for all these phones, Chris? I mean, as a taxpayer. Actually, no. That's the other thing that's actually bad, is the State Department isn't buying or issuing or approving these phones. The Clinton herself, I don't know who is, the family, the foundation. Are they just going down to the AT&T store? These are her personal phones. And so what they do is they had 13, well, some of them were iPads, that they would rotate in and out. And so when she'd say it's broken, they'd give her a different one and they'd have to destroy some of them. It was, wow. There's a bunch of devices out there, Chase. And they have, they have they say these 13, the Clinton campaign says these 13 devices are destroyed. There's no evidence of that and there's no record of that. Clinton's wow. lawyers said they couldn't locate them. One aide recalled destroying two old mobile devices by breaking them in half or hitting them with a hammer. So this is the Secretary of State. 
Okay. Of the United States I, of America. I am more careful with my private data than yeah. she was here. Yeah. And and you have to imagine when you have 13 devices and you're downloading the email, It some of these devices very well could still have this and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Clinton may have used. Clinton's lawyers said they couldn't locate them. One aide recalled destroying two old mobile devices by breaking them in half or hitting them with a hammer. The Clinton campaign quickly responded, saying the documents make clear why the Justice Department believed there was no basis to move forward. But Donald Trump quickly seized on the new details. And- oh, they always do that. They always spin it to the Trump thing. Uh, they, it's not. I don't want to make this a campaign issue yet. I want to just talk about the, the, the contents of the email and uh, the, the whole case here. So the right. contents of the email, the, the, what got published wasn't really emails. It was what this latest round of things that just got published were notes in the FBI's investigation, heavily redacted, but they essentially say in there many times, actually 39 times, they say that she forgot certain things or didn't understand. And in there, they talk about destroying the devices. Uh, they talk about the FBI's questioning about destroying these devices, and they talk about how the FBI asked different lawyers to verify that these devices were destroyed, and they talked about how the lawyers couldn't prove it. And so then they went and interviewed aides, and the aides couldn't verify more than two devices. And this whole point, people just seem to like... They, the, the CNN, the people like at CNN and anchors, they don't know what to do with it. Like, they don't... This seems, this seems careless. Like they, yeah. And so when the news first broke... Brooke on CNN, she she just totally she totally totally made a fool of herself. Oh, you oh, got to see this. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. This is great. But the fact that the FBI cannot say with regard to her emails that they were not conclusively not totally hacked, that's not a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. But you know what is a good thing? The release of this report. The Clinton campaign wanted this report to come out. Why? Because the FBI had an exhaustive year-long investigation. They talked to probably dozens and dozens and dozens of people, hours, hours and hours of testimony. And the decision not to recommend uh, prosecution for was absolutely unanimous. Was it careless? Yes. Was it a mistake? Yes. As Hillary Clinton said, I should not have done this. And if I ever had to do it again, I'd make a different decision. But was yes. it criminal? No. It was not criminal. So I guess that's on. the benchmark now to Go become ahead, president. There's not. No. That's not true. It's actually, to be competent, let's go through the facts. Unlike 17,500 17, emails that she lied about turning over. The server wipe. Within weeks of there being a report that she had a private server, it was wiped. She thought that C, which stands for classified, stood for cookie or something. That's not, which true. Stands for classified. That's not true. She thought that drone strikes are not classified. She said that the reason she used the private server is for convenience, and that she only had one uh, device. So this is what CNN always does. You have a pro-Clinton campaign person. And you got a pro-Trump one. Yeah. She totally used 13 Blackberries. Let me finish. And five iPads. At least she doesn't just stick to the Blackberry iPad. This is somebody who is absolutely disqualified from becoming president. They destroyed Blackberries with hammers in the State Department. That's not what won the presidency. Fact, actually, and that's by Evan, the way, Evan, no, Evan, Evan, hold on. The report that came out in the... She brings like, I'm not having this. There's, oh, no, 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 no. there's no way she'd be that careless. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Evan Perez. Hammers, fact check that for me, please, on the fly. <laughs> you love it, Chase. I love it. This fact is, check on the fly. There's no way. It's, the Clinton News Network, this will not stand on the Clinton News Network. Hammers, fact check that for me, please, on the fly. Uh, yes, they did, Brooke. Uh, as so. as, uh, <laughs> they as did. you mentioned, there were uh, 13 devices, mobile devices, and five iPads that uh, the FBI said that you know, in some way, were used with with her private email server, and they did, in some cases, just destroy them with hammers when they were done using them. She said that's a she pretty forgot- good way of just. <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> good look. That look for Brooke, like, <laughs> really. <laughs> 
<laughs> you notice that yeah, look? Yeah. She, when she she turned, she's yeah. like, really? Yeah. You just made me look like a fool. Yeah, yeah. So thirty nine times, thirty nine times she couldn't she couldn't recall was the reason. Hey, hey, Chris, you know she's got a lot on her mind. Thirty nine times on the I don't recall point, right. Evan. Let me actually just bring you back because you said thirty nine times she said I could not recall. In what context? Was that with regard to all kinds of different questions on drones and in classification levels or or what? They had mostly to do, Brooke, with uh, whether or not she was aware of the the propriety of using uh, her unclassified system to discuss some of these different issues, whether or not she ever got a a security uh, training briefing. She said she didn't recall. To I don't tell remember. her, you know, how to uh, how to how to use or use her unclassified system. Whoa, jeez, what was that? Oh, that <laughs> that was like a uh, that was a dirty there, Chase. Yeah, it's like, Ooh. yeah. Oh, that's jeez. Oh, jeez. All right, here's some more info on it. Well, this is uh, the three. She's got a prop again. Girls got props. She's this Catherine Heritage is. Nobody does props oh, like Catherine Harris. She's Heritage. so good. She's back with the prop every single she time. She is three for three, going back to well, the last this episode. This is uh, the 302. This is no, what the FBI calls its summary of any interview that's conducted by their agents. There's no transcript. The FBI does not traditionally record interviews. So this is a summary that the agents put together, and then they sign off on it for headquarters. And one of the criticisms coming into the release of these documents is that the FBI agents who questioned Mrs. Clinton never really pressed her on this issue of intent, why the server was set up in the first place, and how she felt this was consistent. And what's what's interesting about them not asking her about intent is that was the basis in which Comey made his decision not to press charges because he couldn't show intent to do malice. He showed negligence and mishandling copyright copyright uh, copyrighted. Jeez, you can tell what I normally think about yeah. mishandle mishandling classified information simply uh, badly and and and. Those things he all found to be true, but he said there was no malice intent, and he said they really seemed like the intent was the key part of not coming down with a prosecution. So the fact that they didn't press that intent issue during the interview seems odd to me. How she felt this was consistent with maintaining federal records and also the handling of classified information, and based on the 302, this criticism is very valid. She talks about how it's convenient, but there seems to be no follow-up from the agents as to why she thought this to be the case. And, and is, is really 13 devices all that convenient? I don't really know if that's Well, maybe handy. one in every vehicle, one in every house. <laughs> how this in any way was going to protect classified information. The other main headline reading this document is that on critical points, Mrs. Clinton seems to have forgotten or simply cannot recall for agents what the specific training was for classified information. And I'll read one section for you. She tells the agents that she can't remember when she got her security clearance and whether it was carried over from her time in the Senate then to uh, the State Department. Oh, I can't be bothered to think of such things. I just... I got it so long ago. I've had security clearance for longer than you've been uh, wearing uh, boots. So I just, uh, who yeah, knows? It's just too hard. And it reads in part, Clinton could not recall any briefing or training by state related to the retention of federal records or the handling of classified information. She also goes on to say that she was briefed on what are called special access programs. These are the most closely held intelligence programs that the U.S. government has. But she says she can't recall the specific training that she received or any kind of briefing 
for the handling of such sensitive information. It seems like if you are going to go to the trouble of setting up your own email server, you might try to be more prudent about these kinds of things. Totally. She goes on to say at one point that she never believed that classified information was sent to her because she relied on her aides not to send anything sensitive. And she could not recall for agents how it was in the first place that this ClintonEmail.com domain was set up. So on these critical questions, she has, uh, in almost every case, sort of a lapse in memory on the details, Laura. And Catherine, in terms Mm -hmm. of the top secret emails themselves, Uh have we learned anything new about these particular top secret emails? Well, one of the things that's striking in this 302 is that if you have been watching Fox News, many of the stories that we broke here on Fox News, she's asked about these specific points of the intelligence in her interview with the FBI. She was asked about the drone program. Those sections are heavily redacted, but we now know that would have been one of the special access programs that was discussed on Hillary Clinton's unsecured server. There's also a section where they ask uh, about an American uh, military officer who was killed in Afghanistan. We reported on this case because we understood that this was an example of human intelligence reporting that was discussed on the server. Uh, We now know that this person had cover and was working for the CIA. So they essentially outed him after his death in the Clinton emails and exposed his family to And that, people, is what grinds my gear. All right, Catherine. What did we say? Remember I was speculating that might be the case? Yep. yep yeah, that yep. grinds my gears, Chase. We called that. We totally uh, called that. Um, so right. So a lot of not recalling there. A lot of forgetting, right? A lot of forgetting, which I, you have to wonder. Wait, I, I don't remember. <laughs> Hillary Clinton continues to pound on Donald Trump to release his taxes. Clinton said today he's hiding something. Meanwhile, some Republicans are questioning the health and well-being of Clinton. And this continues to surface in the social media. The Internet is wild with theories about Hillary's health. Clinton has had coughing spells. She's taken assistance in standing. And critics are wondering if Clinton has health issues. Now, I don't take any joy in another human being having uh, any kind of health issues or maybe like a prolonged problem or maybe, you know, even something more serious. So this is not something I enjoy talking about. And I I don't really – I don't – I'm not really super comfortable discussing this particular issue. But um, – it is, it is a question that is being raised more and more. It's actually even come up in State Department briefings. And then you worked with her while she was here. Um, since almost every network had a story about her coughing fit, would you have any reason to worry or wonder about her health? Um, I can only speak from my uh, personal experience with her, and uh, she seemed uh, very vital and uh, dynamic and a uh, healthy person. So, I mean, it's, it's a question that I, I, I want to bring up on this show because – I've noticed something, and it is a huge elephant in the room, and okay. I think perhaps the audience isn't being exposed to it because it is being heavily edited out, but Clinton does seem to have a, a an issue, and I want you to just absorb the awkwardness of the beginning of this clip okay? because it perfectly illustrates how awkward the media is at covering this particular problem, and they're bending over backwards not to not talk about it. 
So now what you see is what you get with these candidates. And we have a lot to get to this morning. I'm just going to start with what Trump is leading with, trying to make it look like uh, Hillary Clinton is sick or something. Because so it's not us. It's Trump. I'm just going to start with what Trump is leading with, trying to make something out of nothing. She coughed. I just want to know where Tim Kaine was when he was clapping behind her for two minutes like this. If we if I had a coughing fit on the air, what would you do? You'd probably take over and help out. Tim Kaine, come on! I think he was instructed not to step up to make her look weak because they, they've talked about what happens when this occurs. What are you doing? <laughs> so they're talking about something that happened in Ohio, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, what are you doing? You're probably going to step over the mic. Step up! Take the mic! That, get know, a drink of water? He's yeah. coughing or whatever. It's a little awkward. And what? We have, we have all the conspiracy theories. <laughs> and somebody was asking. <laughs> somebody it happens! Me, oh, is this proof? Yeah, help out! Okay. It's a tough schedule. <laughs> it's a really rough schedule, and sometimes, you know, you cough and do stuff like that. There's no look, 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 if she had a health it. issue, do you think she would have... So you see where she's there, I don't want to show it. I don't want to show it. Right. Been on the road. No, she doesn't. That's just BS. She doesn't have one. She doesn't. It's silly. But we're... we're, we're, we're Okay, here's, I'm not, a, here's a little bit of the call. I, I don't like, don't I don't want to show it. I thought you wanted to. I wasn't going to even bring it up. This is on MS... This is... Can you believe this? This is this is super left leaning uh, and MSNBC. What's, and what's I mean, but this this debating whether or not to even play the clip during the show this doesn't normally happen on no no no, no. It, these things are well planned and well greased. So the clip rolls. Congresswoman Marsha Fudge for hosting us. Deal. All right, all right. This guy's on for two minutes, and Tim. And so actually, it went on for four minutes. Now the chat room isn't following, but I want to. Let's. I actually think we should take a minute and talk about this because then later on in the day, she's doing a press cover, a giggle. Uh, intriguing. That this is later on the same day, back on our new plane. This activity has happened um, <coughs> around the time Trump became the nominee. And look, he very early on allied himself with Putin's policies. I mean, to pull out of NATO, for goodness sakes, right? And he furthermore has praised Putin. He seems to have this you know, bizarre attraction to dictators, including Putin. He won't tell us where he owes $650 million. There's a lot of rumors about that. And <coughs> he has you know, made it clear that um, he doesn't particularly care whether Putin and the intelligence services attack American institutions. So, get some water. Yeah. <coughs> Thank you. So they hand her a bottle of water. The res- this was caught. This was taken from a live stream. This hasn't been reposted, so it's kind of hard to get this clip. So they hand her a bottle of water, but she something about it's wrong. She doesn't want to open it or something. So she hands it back to them, and they give her a cup of water instead. Well, that was Hillary Clinton, uh, her press conference there aboard her new campaign plane. And that's it, and she never comes back. So then later, uh, her staff comes back and says, oh, she has allergies. And then the next day, she comes out, and they ask her how she's doing. She says, oh, I'm feeling better. I, I upped my antihistamine. Um... Here's uh, here's a little bit of her in in Ohio. Hey, Cleveland. 
And I'm just, I'll leave the clip in there, but the clip, she goes on for four minutes coughing and hacking in Cleveland. It's, four it, minutes? It wasn't two minutes, like they say in there. And this is, I, we're, I'm not going to play all of this for you, but this cough of hers goes in back the administration. <laughs> goes back to February 5th, 2008. And it's, wow, it's, wait, it goes back that far? It's almost every, damn near every appearance she has. And this clip goes through it chronologically. Uh, it, here is... Uh, uh, it goes to 2012, oh, 2000. So it, so it jumps all over. It goes forward to 2015. Well, it's going forward, and the cough seems to be getting worse and worse and worse all the time. I mean, she, <laughs> there is she's got some sort of cough, and I, 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 I think it could just simply be. I mean, she is up there in age and talks a lot. Could be that. That's often. So I've I looked at some of the things she usually says. Uh, I talk too much. Okay. Right. Okay. One time the excuse was, I'm eating too much hot sauce. Too much hot sauce. Uh, judges? Okay. Donald, I'm allergic to Donald Trump. Ooh, does that count? No, judges say that does okay. not count. And allergies. Those have been oh, her. Allergies, yeah, that's on the board. And I'm not going to go through. I have uh, many more clips of it, uh, but it, it goes back It goes back so, years. So, Chris, health health issue or gimmick? No, definitely not a gimmick. I think uh, so. I, I don't know what I don't. There is something here. There is something. It could simply be a side effect of, of blood thinners. For Let me all ask I know, is, does she privately smoke? I mean, like a lot of people didn't realize that you know Obama smoked. It is a deep hacking cough too. Yeah, it is a gross cough. Um, does she smoke? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm just curious if she does. I mean, maybe if she did some weed, that might help her. <laughs> I don't think. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Um, it is, it is, I, I, so I, 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 I don't, I don't have much more to add. It's a lot of speculation, but I think there is something here. I think she does have health issues. I think she does have some balance issues. I don't know if they're severe, but well, she had that concussion, right? Or something like that where she knocked her head. Yeah, and you know something? what's weird about that? When she fell and hit her head, yeah. she failed, her reflexes failed to kick in. She didn't yeah. catch herself. There was a fall that she had prior to that. Where she she broke her elbow or something like that because she caught herself. Her reflexes kicked in. Right. But in the later, in the, that was in 2008. In the 2012 fall, she failed to put her hands or arms out. She just fell down. She didn't stop herself. Well, I I think then that's where you got to look at who is her vice president. The other thing, the other <laughs> thing to watch because if you watch clips of her, if like she's sitting in an interview. She'll often have a pillow with her, and she'll be grabbing, she'll be gripping the pillow with her hands while she sits really? there. Really? She, or she'll grab her arm. That's weird. Just watch. Okay. I would just say watch, and the only reason why I, I think I actually think there's a little bit of a cognitive disconnect here when people say this isn't news. You shouldn't be asking these questions. It, she's going to be the president of the United States. Uh, yeah. And I, these were fair game for John McCain. And my my point is. If she can't recall 39 times about why she set up a private email server in her basement, when she got security clearance, when she was trained, if she – there, I guess the other thing to understand is you, if, you read, if you've read the Hillary Clinton emails, there are emails where Huma Abedin, one of them specifically where she says, Hillary often gets confused. You just have to make sure you ask her at the right time. I don't know what the hell that means, but that's concerning too. Right. And if you, if you read the emails, there's also there's uh, there's a lot of references to she isn't feeling well enough. Um, there was a time where Air, where Hillary requested Air Force One uh, travel because she wasn't feeling up to traveling on um, on like a, like I can't I don't even know if it would have been consumer or what I don't know what it was but it wasn't it was more public 
And uh, so she sent she sent off a request to have well to have the White House arrange Air Force One to travel her because she wasn't oh. feeling well. See, I mean, I don't like to get in the whole speculation phase just because of the fact that you know obviously all we have to see is what we see on on television and in front of us. So yeah, she's had a nasty cough for a number of years. Does that mean she has something more serious? Maybe or maybe not. Uh, is she a smoker? Don't know. Um, it, it's one of those things that's where really, I think it's good. it could be as simple as she's got a lo- lifelong smoking habit. Yeah, it could be as simple as and maybe a, she can't talk about it because obviously that is not a very popular thing. I've been told that the one of one of the medications she is on uh, for like uh, for the blood clot that she had. Um, she takes she's now she takes life she takes a, a pretty standard blood thinner. I, I guess one of the side effects of that can be a tickle in the throat. Well, there you go. But when she coughs, it's a deep, lungy, fluid cough. But I, but I do find it interesting, though, that she walked away from her questions and didn't come back to it. She didn't take the bottled water. She had to have it out of the cup. That's some weirdness. Uh, the whole pillow thing, that's some more weirdness. And it's, you know, you see pictures of they put a step out for her so she can step into the vehicle and they hold her hands while she does it. You've seen pictures of them holding her hands while she goes up the steps. I mean, to be fair, though, Chris, I mean, we've had presidents in our history that have been in poorer health I agree. than she has. Been in wheelchairs and they hit yeah, that from Yeah, exactly. The, uh, yeah. yeah. I was, that's, you took the thunder, but you're right. Yeah. The, the, the only issue is, is if whatever the issue is impacts her mental facilities, then I think you have a right. real problem totally. over her ability to perform. I mean, for her not recalling, I don't think that is a message of her health. I think that's just her lying. She, lying. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it does play into a narrative of poor health. Totally. And so, but but maybe she's playing into that narrative. I know this is kind of conspiracy-ish, but maybe she's playing into that narrative. So when the bomb drops that she does have a serious health issue, that she can say, well, yeah, I didn't remember because I'm sick. Maybe. Um, I got double bacon for you. You ready? So we're going to go double deep because this More is already a little conspiracy bacon. bacon. Nice. This could be a double decker distraction. Ooh, a double decker. Because if you're talking about Hillary's health, where, where there as, isn't actually a problem, as long as you're talking about Hillary's health, you're not talking about all the other things. You're she, not talking about the email, the Clinton Foundation, the foundation. The, the but that DNC. stuff's going to come up during the debates anyway. She can try to distract it all she wants. That stuff's going to come up. It, it could just be about buying time. And what, we're 65 days out? It's really just buy time at this point. Right, that's true. So, the, the, but the election isn't on a Friday. I ha- Here's how you solve this problem, though, is you just be a little more transparent, as they say. Ah. Uh, what, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like they haven't properly addressed it. She does cough a lot. If you want more, there is more in the supporter sink. Right. I have... I, on advice of counsel, I am going to not go through the montage of her coughing at just about every public event. <laughs> she, there's even – I have – there's clips in there where she just sits down at like a school board meeting and she just starts having a coughing fit. And she has she has signal cues for her aides and they bring her cough drops and water. And there, I, there's clips of her even uh, during the uh, debate when she was up with Sanders and up on the stage. She's popping cough drops and sucking on cough drops. Right. The, up on, do you remember also – during the during the Democratic debates when everybody was still all in. Do you remember when they came back from commercial and Hillary was still oh, in the Oh, that's right. She was running late. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, there might be something there to talk about. And I would say if you're like, oh, this is a distraction, or, this oh, isn't or news. Or it's one clarified. Well, it's something that we should track because you never know what's going to occur out of this. So we got to kind of keep a finger on it just to see. I agree. Maybe and, I won't recall this later. 
But in the meantime, we should keep it. I'm not red booking that she has Parkinson's or something. I'm simply (laughs) saying from what you said, she could just be a smoker. It could be a tickler in her throat. Could be be because she talks a lot. That's that's her most frequent excuse. Uh, This is a couple of quick Trump blasts for you. The White House, Donald Trump will get his second intelligence briefing today as he doubles down on his plan to make Mexico pay for a border wall. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, the media loves covering the fact that he's getting his intelligence briefing. So these intelligence briefings, they sound pretty fancy. They sound really high tech and they sound really exclusive. And remember, remember, there was all that controversy about uh, Hillary shouldn't get her briefings. That came from the Ryan camp. But yeah. of course, there was there was people that saying Trump shouldn't be getting his briefings. Well, these briefings, what these briefings are, are um, they're like science project days at the uh, different uh, departments. So you, it's like it's like when you're a, you're a parent and you have like an event in your children's cafeteria at their school and they've all got their poster poster board up and they're talking about the the things that they've learned. That's that's what these are. That's that's how deep these things go. So the uh, the big shot shows up in this case it's Trump and uh, this week it's at the FBI and then you know week before it's at the CIA, week after that it's at the DHS. You know they, they move around. Uh, sometimes they're combined depending if the departments aren't important enough they combine the events. So but the FBI gets their own. So Trump shows up at the FBI, he walks in and he's basically getting the the um the menu items of all of the things that keep the FBI up at night. Like encryption and terrorism, <laughs> and so it's essentially scare the shit out of the candidate day and make make and make us look super important to the candidate. That's what these. That's what these. It's it is pre propagating these candidates while they're in this phase of the election cycle, and that's what I think is interesting about these intelligence quote unquote briefings. Now Trump has made some interesting policy announcements just this week. Some actual like solid policy positions. They just weren't what I was hoping to hear. Peace. Through strength. Watch how he turns from side to side as he talks. <laughs> we want to achieve a stable, peaceful world with less conflict and more common ground. I am proposing a new foreign policy focused on advancing America's core national interests, so important promoting regional stability, and producing and easing the tensions within our very troubled world. This will require rethinking the failed policies of the past. This is, I think, maybe one of the most important moments in his entire campaign. This is huge for him to actually be giving specific details. He talks about endorsements he's getting. You've all heard about or automatic defense budget cuts. Oh, he also blasts the budget. With any country that shares our goal of destroying ISIS and defeating radical Islamic terrorism. And we're going to form new friendships and partnerships. He goes on to talk about generals that are endorsing him. Um... Also calls for in big increases in military Under spending. Under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, defense spending is on track to fall to its lowest level as a share of the economy since the end of World War II. We currently have the smallest army since 1940. Now, these stats reek of cherry picking. 
<laughs> the smallest army. Now, when was the last time we sent 100,000 troops into a nation? Right. And, and do we need to have like a million troops when we have some of the best technology in warfare? Or when we're hiring refugees in Syria or right. when we're hiring um, um, uh, I mean, uh, contractors like you, Blackwater? What you, yeah. What do you want here? <laughs> we, we have contractors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now. Yeah. And we have mercenaries. Yeah. The Navy is among the smallest it has been since 1915. It's 100 years ago. That is, again, it's a big number, but it doesn't feel like it actually is relevant in 2016. We have, in, in, in 100 years ago, we didn't have nuke-powered submarines that can sit under the water with these huge, huge missiles for God knows how long. Right, exactly. And the Air Force is the smallest it's been since 1947. Well, we didn't have a drone program in yeah, 1947. And, and the other thing, too, is, you know, the military isn't there f- as a jobs program. It's there as a defense for the for the United States, right? So, <laughs> well, that's what's supposed to yeah, be, yeah, right? Yeah. No, so, a- I mean, so if we're able to do what we have with less, shouldn't we be doing that in other areas of government? Why Why do, does he have to be so transfixed on that number? Exactly. It seems like, it seems like uh, a, a different version of Trump— would have been the candidate of efficiencies. Let's let's uh, let's make some deals. We'll make things efficient. We'll cut out the costs, and we'll have we'll have a bigger and better military for less money. That right. could have I could I could see Trump saying that in the past life, but now it's this very hardline Republican sort of traditional. And maybe this is why he has uh, you know all these generals behind of him. Of course, because of course all he all they see is adding more boots in their in their budgets, basically. <laughs> When Ronald Reagan left office, our Navy had 592 ships. When Barack Obama took office, it had 285 ships. You know what else we didn't have? We didn't have a massive space fleet of spy satellites watching every inch of the Earth right. either. Yeah, that's Today, true. the Navy has just 276 ships. Just? Just? And by the way, this Navy isn't the only arm of the military that has boats. Right. You see, we think it is, but the CIA has submarines, the NSA has submarines, the Army's got boats up the ass. The average Air Force aircraft is 27 years old. That sounds like we made a great investment. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. Sounds like we're getting our money's worth. Look at us. We have second generation B-52 bombers. Their fathers flew the same plane. As they're flying right because now. it's still the best plane for the freaking job. Because we need so many B fifty two bombers. <laughs> no, but seriously, like I was watching a special on the B fifty two, and it's like no other plane. I, I, can, tried. Can, can do the payload and the range and the speed that this thing can do, and it works. This is not the United States. Oh, is the State of the Union on the military, as Donald Trump just laid out, accurate? So we've been sitting here uh, responding to his points, and this is what CIA, CIA this is what <laughs> CNN is doing. Yeah. But I, I felt like it was inappropriate. They cut these two things together. Like, they couldn't just air a Trump clip without also debunking go, we'll it. We'll be right back. No, they had to debunk it, too. Yeah. They couldn't just let it stand on its own, which may be good or bad. And, of course, Barbara Starr jumps in. Well, you know, Trump has been putting out that message in his view that the U.S. military is broken, if you will, that it's too small, there isn't enough capability. I I was listening, and in some cases, you know, he goes back to what the U.S. military was 
1915. Let's uh, be clear. The U.S. military can be much smaller than it was. The, the weapons, the capabilities are tens of orders, if not hundreds of orders of magnitude, more capable. It doesn't need by any measure what it used to have. So that's all fair. That's a good point. I, I just, you know. There's also uh, some changes in Trump's ISIS plans. He said he had a plan. He said he had a foolproof plan. And now he is saying today generals are going to come up with a plan. So did he not have a plan to begin with? Or does he think that these generals whom he's said don't know much uh, are going to come up with a better plan than he concocted. Well, let me tell you what happens. Uh, we're going to defeat ISIS. Donald Trump is committed to that. He's going to work with the military to achieve that. And these uh, statements he made during a campaign. So this is the uh, guy that sits on top of the Armed Services Committee, which means the military-industrial complex is officially behind Donald J. Trump. That's what this means. That's this is everybody. This is a big moment for the Trump campaign. He is officially in. I just can't. They uh, they like him. Some months ago, a year ago, are, are not controlling. He's going obviously always work toward that end. He's got priorities. I think his, his uh, uh, positioning is correct, and he's hit, taking the country in the right direct, direction. This could also be another reason why the Clinton campaign wants to tie uh, Trump to Russia, because it helps uh, say that, well, no, he's he's... Yeah, he might have the generals and he might have the military industrial complex, but he's in with the Russians. I mean, that could be another reason. Could be another reason. Oh, it has been a something. It has been no, a week. It, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you knew that the military industrial complex was going to get behind one candidate or the other. Typically, they always tend to go behind the Republican candidate because, you know, the Republican candidate is always about, you know, guns and war and, you know, all that fun jazz and. Not shocked by that. <laughs> All right, I got one last clip to wrap us up. All right, you know, I think this clip sort of, uh, sort of is backing up your red book, red book prediction about the Brexit. So I thought we'd wrap up with something that we haven't talked about the Brexit in a while. Yeah, you won't see him in the photos of European leaders signing a deal, but for more than twenty years, Jean Claude Pyrrhus was the legal force behind successive treaties, from Maastricht to Lisbon. The former top Brussels lawyer oversaw them all. No wonder people joked he was the god of the treaty. But one page from all the thousands of pages he helped write is now being scrutinised. Article 50, triggering exit from the EU. Nobody thought that it would be used, but people were thinking if it is used one day, it will probably be by the United Kingdom. Because, as you know, the United Kingdom has always been a little bit in, a little bit out. So a surprise to him, but how about this for a surprise to others? It's Mr Pyrrhus's legal opinion that even after triggering Article 50, it can be revoked. Oh! <laughs> My opinion is that there is no legal uh, provision in Article 50 providing that when you give your intention, you cannot change your intention. So I think it's possible legally. There you go. And with changes in government, potentially, or public yep. opinion, and if you just stretch things out a few years. Have another poll. Use it to renegotiate a few deals. And then you stay in the EU. That's what it seems like to me. That's what it seems like to me. Fuck the EU. <laughs> well, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. I have to tell you. It was a job this week, slogging I through all of this stuff. As the election gets closer, it's all Trump, all Hillary, all the time. But we still try to get you a good mix of cyber, world events, what's going on in Turkey, Russia, and even 
a little conspiracy bacon speculation from time to time just to yes. keep us all a little skeptical. Plus, coming up, 203's Overtime has got even more stuff, some breaking news, good clips coming up. I in might overtime. be uh, in the end of that one. I, I think I'll stick around. I'll, I'll take Thanks, a break buddy. and come, back, come around. That, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. I would really like to have you here for that. Hey, Chase, can people find you online? Maybe get some of your content, get what you're up to? Yeah, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. What? Yeah, and if you're following at Geek Gamer TV, you're going to start seeing a lot of the PAX 16 content being pushed out there. Had a few interviews and a, and a great time over the weekend. It was a lot of fun. Now, Chris, over the, the past week, I know you do tweets. Oh, Where, what are some good outlets for that? You know, the first place I would check would be at Chris LES. It's also a good way to get a hold of me because it's sort of a manageable pipe. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so that's a great way to get feedback directly to me or yeah. the network at Jupiter Signal. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose on filter there. But remember, if you want to get your comment on the show, join the 33 club over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Yes. Not only you get the swag, but you also get, you also get your voice and your letter. You get access to my sack, which is you a great thing. sack. Yep, yes, there absolutely. you go. All right, everybody. Don't forget, oh, hi there. Don't forget to join us live next week if you can. We got those times at the calendar page. It's streamed at jblive.tv. You can check all those places and show up right back here next week. Because we are officially entering episode 203 overtime, brought to you by our patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Special thank you this week to our new patrons who signed up since 202 to Tobias Cameron, Hippolytus Frang. I don't I don't think I'm saying that one right, but uh, I also think you went really complicated just to confuse me, sir. Well played. Well played. Vishal, Peter, Scott, Sam, Jay, Stony Mac, and Oliver are our new patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. I encourage you to dig through the back catalog. You can find our BitTorrent sync. We'll be moving that to a new system soon, but you still get full access to the supporter clips, depending on which level you got at. You just got access to all of our exclusive posts we've ever done, Patreon, exclusive shows, everything. And you are now supporters of Unfilter. This segment's dedicated to you and everyone over at patreon.com slash unfilter. We have a lot to cover in our overtime segment. This next clip, uh, the audio, I'm not sure but by the time you get the final mix down if it's going to be bouncing all over the place. It came from the factory floor like this from right-left stereo, but it's a follow-up on the whole EU finding that Apple owes $13 billion in tax, back tax dollars. Well, turns out the Irish cabinet is siding with Apple on this one. Maybe not too much of a surprise. Here's the details. Ireland may have had Apple in the palm of its hand, but it's clearly not a feeling it's used to. The Irish cabinet eventually deciding not to take the 13 billion euros in back taxes Apple's been ordered to pay, fearing it may not be as lucrative as it sounds. 
And that would do untold damage uh, to the Irish economy in the longer term. They can't risk losing these tech giants. They've done incredibly well to get them and, and keep them, and that's a testament to the workforce that Ireland has. As many as one in ten jobs in Ireland come from multinationals like Apple, lured by the country's favourable tax regime. That's pretty much all you need to know right there. Uh, Apple's among, one of many, and so they're not too keen on changing that. So that was a bit interesting. I think you've probably heard us mention Stingrays on this show, and if you haven't listened to this show for a while, but perhaps you've caught our TechSnap show, you've heard us cover some of the technical aspects of t- Stingray devices. These are like cell cell phone towers that the law enforcement will set up to get your phone to connect to it. And a lot of times they'll force your phone into a um, older generation cellular technology, I guess, it would be the way to put that, which has inferior uh, crypto standards. So that way they get access to all kinds of goodies. And not only do they get your communications, but they also get all kinds of ID from your phone so they know who's in which areas, even if you don't place a phone call, if you just connect to the tower, the the ID in your phone baseband will be registered uh, on their system. So they also get an idea of who attends things like um, Sanders events or Clinton events or protests because they can they can throw these stingrays up at events and they can collect just some personal identifiable information while you're there and just having that information is useful over time. So I, I've been following these stingrays with some serious, serious uh, concern because it's not just about collecting your calls. It's also about tracking your location and having hard evidence of where you were at. A court case out of Oakland illuminates exactly how far law enforcement will go in order to use surveillance devices known as stingrays to catch suspected criminals. Back in 2013, the Oakland Police Department and FBI used stingrays to find a man who was allegedly involved in the shooting of a police officer. At the time, no warrant had been obtained, and since then, the agencies have been trying to hide information about how they deployed the devices. A judge has now ordered the government to formally disclose as many details as possible. RT's Brigitte Santos joins me now from Los Angeles with more. Now, before they go on, I'll just mention this as possible clause seems like it's going to be the real sticky part because, of course, they'll just say, well, for national security reasons, uh, we cannot disclose this much. So uh, we've disclosed as much as possible. That is, we use them. Brigitte, how do stingrays work and how can they be deployed without a warrant? Anya, that's exactly the type of questions that the judge in this case, Judge Donna Rayu, is trying to figure out. So here's what we know so far. Now, stingrays can be used to determine a mobile phone's location by spoofing a cell tower. In some cases, stingrays can intercept calls and text messages. Once deployed, the devices intercept data from a target phone along with information from other phones within the vicinity. Now, in this specific case, the government argued that it did not need a warrant to find one of the four suspects involved in this non-fatal shooting of a police officer, the suspect being Purvis Ellis. And they say that they don't need a warrant due to exigent circumstances. Now, exigent circumstances is something that lawmakers enforce, I mean, law enforcers um, invoke any time they want to get around those Fourth Amendment protections against uh, unreasonable searches and seizures. So they invoked that here because the four suspects, they say, were still on the loose. Now, the person that they were using this device on, Mr. Ellis, was not 
identified as the shooter by the officer who survived. However, for whatever reason, he is the one that the FBI and Oakland PD used the stingrays on. So that's what happened in this case. Now, there are many other cases where police don't get a warrant and instead they lie and say that they used a confidential source rather than admitting that they had used these devices. So there's very little known about how these are used and the judge in this case wants to clear that up for people despite the fact that the agency said it would not be in the public's interest to do so. And what exactly did the disclosure reveal? So this disclosure revealed how they were used specifically in this case, but you can imagine similar uh, procedures that are used in other states and in other counties as well. So how the FBI deploys stingrays is like this. So first, they call the phone carrier. Then they fill out exigent circumstances requests, or they submit a warrant if they have one. Exigent circumstance request. And then also, how about this logic? We are protecting you by not telling you how we spy on you. It's in your best interest that you don't know what we're doing to you. How in a, in a democracy, how can that ever be the answer? From there, they obtain a pen register or trap trace and get that sus- subscriber information to locate the target phone. From there, they get the FBI's approval to use the stingrays, and then they identify the target device by obtaining signal information from that phone, and then they, from there, go and find the target. Now, how stingrays work is very interesting, as highlighted by these court documents. And they provide relative signal strength and the general direction of a subject's cell phone. It is not a GPS locator, which is important to note here. No, in fact, I think you, what you have to, you just, if you just simply understand the way the the baseband uh, operates in these phones that that it has its own logic and operating system it is separate of your main primary operating system on your phone and it's pretty simple it just wants the strongest signal because the strongest signal equals best signal so best uh, best phone call quality best data speeds but the big one and this is really why it's constantly hunting for the best signal even sometimes when it's lower speed better battery life the stronger the signal, the less effort the antennas have to work, the less, well, the less effort the baseband has to put into the antennas. It is fundamentally way more efficient when you have a strong signal. That's why if, if you've ever noticed, when your phone's searching for signal, it runs the battery down. And when you're in an area with full signal, your battery lasts much longer. So all the FBI's Stingray device has to do, or dirt boxes, there's several different terms for different types of devices, um, that do slightly different to do this. And so, so there's dirt boxes that go in airplanes and they can fly airplanes over entire regions and they just they just blast down the entire region. So they flew these over Seattle recently. And then and then these stingrays are more precise. They get them closer. That acts as a stronger signal than the cell tower that's further away. They do not obtain or download information from the device or any of its applications. And they must be legally configured as pen registers. And from there, they cannot collect contents of any communication or data on the phone, which includes your emails, texts, uh, any of your contacts or photos, along with your account information. No, that's what the national security letters are for, that they get from Google or Facebook or that they can hand out and just subpoena that information. I've also wondered when I've heard these stories, well, what do the wireless carriers think? Are they working with the government to do this? 
Or are they getting pissed that they're going in there and blasting out their spectrum? And then once they're done using the stingrays, they have to purge all of the information collected by it. And that's really to maintain the privacy rights of innocent third parties and to make sure that the data collected is not outside of their legal scope of authorization. And to make sure that they preserve the operational use of these devices so that they can be deployed quickly the next time they need to be used, Anya. So it's pretty interesting. It really is, and I, I wonder what we'll learn as, as more, as, as law enforcement is forced to share more about how they use these technologies. RT correspondent Brigitte Santos reporting from Los Angeles. Thank you so much. No, no, thank you. I want to, you know, play a longer clip. Can we do that? Will you come in? Can we get uh, cozy for a moment? Pour yourself a hit pause right now and pour yourself a, a new beverage. That's one of the things we like to do in overtime. Every now and then, it's just play a little bit longer of a clip to give you the the full exposure. And uh, we haven't really played anything from Glenn Greenwald recently, so this seemed like the perfect moment. Get it all. And when it comes to Russia, I mean, you have this very unusual juxtaposition. Um, talk about the Democrats' approach, Hillary Clinton's approach to Putin, um, and also Donald Trump. I mean, his recently departed um, from the campaign, at least, campaign manager Paul Manafort, his close ties to Ukraine and to the uh, Soviet ally, uh, former president Yanukovych in Ukraine, who then fled to Russia and whatever the—not <clears throat> clear what his financial dealings were with them. But talk about Russia as it relates to U.S. foreign policy. Glenn's face there is like, I don't know what the hell that just was. Like, she just rambled and made a whole bunch of loose connections, associations that basically worked out to Russia bad, Trump bad, Trump like Russia. To me, this is one of the more remarkable things of this campaign, which is that any of us who grew up in, in politics or came of age as an American in, in the, the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s, knows that central to American political discourse has always been trying to tie your political opponents to Russia, to demonizing the Kremlin as the ultimate evil, and then trying to insinuate that your political adversaries are somehow secretly sympathetic to or even controlled by Russian leaders and, and Kremlin operatives and Russian intelligence agencies. And this was not just the McCarthyism, which was sort of the peak of that, but even long after, um, this was typically a Republican tactic used against Democrats. So if Democrats advocated greater detente with the Russians, um, arms deals or other negotiations with Russia to decrease tensions or decrease conflict, uh, Republicans would immediately accuse those liberals and Democrats of advocating that, of being either having allegiance to the Kremlin or being useful idiots or stooges of Russian leaders. Um, and it's amazing to have watched in this campaign Democrats completely resurrect that Cold War, McCarthyite kind of rhetoric. I, here's why I find it to be uh, uh, surprising. And the chat room's actually on this thread. And I was surprised Glenn didn't go this way. Um, it seems it seems shallow. It seems obvious on the face of it. It seems hi- like hyperbole. Like there's ex- there's stretches that are being made. And I, I've wondered now for a while, why is this their boogeyman? Why are they using this to attack him? Why aren't they going after 
all of the people associated with Trump's character. Why aren't they going after what awful people with these people are essentially gangsters? Why aren't they? Why are they not pursuing that avenue that, 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 that these people have genuinely shady connections and they have connections to the mob? They have connections to to organized crime. They are shady people that are there are and, and likely if Trump is surrounding himself with shady people, he has some shady connections himself. It would it would seem to reason. But who knows? Maybe not. Maybe he just likes people to get the job done. And it's a tough fight when you're going up against the Clintons. So who really knows? But why the Russian thing? Because that seems so hollow, so shallow, so obvious that there's a boogeyman. Yeah, there's some interesting in, 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 uh, some things you can imply, some, some interesting connections that may be there from Manafort. There are obviously concerns around Russia. And so when you can play off those, it gets you, it, it gets you some traction. But come on, really? If you just look at the facts, you can see how how Hillary Clinton has worked with Russia in the past to help them secure massive, massive uranium supplies and become a huge player in the energy market. And one of the reasons Russia's back on the world stage is directly related to deals that Hillary Clinton helped Russia set up. Why isn't the Trump campaign blasting back with these facts, these facts that are on the record while she was in the while she was in the while she was the secretary of state while she was in the State Department? These things transpired. She was part of these deals. These are literally facts on the record. They are actual history. The Trump campaign doesn't fire back with these things. It's like they're not actually hitting each other. Oh, they're the Trump campaign slams the Clinton or Clinton hits back. But they're not actually going after each other like they could be going the, Clint, the the Trump Trump could have an entire team of people investigating the Clinton Foundation because I've investigated the Clinton Foundation and I have found literally obviously egregious problems problems that are simple like things that are in violation of being a legal a, 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 a I forget the exact filing it was but they have they are they are considered a nonprofit charitable organization. And they have done a specific type of filing. It was created around Bill Clinton's library. It all goes back to Bill Clinton's little library. That's the entire genesis of the Clinton Foundation. And they were never cleared for the work they're doing now. And they have never properly filed some of these taxes that they're supposed to properly file. They have never had a proper audit they're supposed to have as a nonprofit. Never. They've never had these things. These are glaring. These are just, and these are just things like on the surface level, you go, God, that looks bad. And I bet you if you had somebody who could spend the entire day digging into it, they could really find some shit. But the Trump campaign doesn't do that. The Clinton campaign doesn't go after the gang connections that the people around Trump have. They don't go after the things that he said about women. I mean, they started it, but really the media led that. Instead, the Clinton campaign goes after this Russian thing. They keep going after this Russian angle. And Greenwald's making some great points here, but the ones that he's not making also seem just as glaring. They seem like this is also not being discussed. Um, not only to accuse uh, Paul Manafort, um, who does have direct financial ties to certainly the pro, the former pro-Russian um, leader of the Ukraine, but really um, anybody who in any way questions the Clinton campaign. I mean, they even tried doing it to Jill Stein a few weeks ago by claiming that um, she had done something nefarious by attending an event in Moscow sponsored by the Russian television outlet RT that's controlled by the Putin government. And so it's sort of this constant uh, rhetorical tactic to try and insinuate that anyone opposing the Clintons um, are somehow Russian agents when it's the Clintons who actually have a lot of ties to Russia as well. I mean, the Clinton Foundation and Bill Clinton 
Biden helped um, Russian companies take over uranium industries in various parts of the world. He received lots of Russian money for speeches. Um, the Clinton Foundation has relationships to them. President Obama— Hillary herself, while in the State Department, made deals with Russia. I, so I don't actually really know what the—I I actually need to look more into the foundation ties with that. This entire—he's making my point for me. I, I, I just— I find this to be flabbergasting that we're, we're not having the actual discussions. Refused to arm factions in the Ukraine that were trying to fight against um, this pro-Russian dictator and, 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 and continuously tries to partner with the Russians in Syria. So this rhetoric can cut both ways. And, and it's very problematic, I think, um, to try and depict anyone who questions NATO or who advocates detente with Russia um, of somehow being disloyal or useful idiots or stooges to Putin. Um, given how dangerous that rhetoric traditionally has been in American political discourse, and that's about, that's basically where I fall down. They are obviously a threat. They are a powerful nation. They have they have a, a dangerous military. They have an aggressive positioning, and they're out for themselves, just like any large nation would be. I don't find that inherently evil. It seems to be human nature in packs. That seems to be what human nature is. I think you could apply that description to the United States of America. So I don't think that makes Russia particularly more dangerous. In fact, if you go through world events, if you go back through history, a lot of times when the shit really came down to the fan, like it was about to hit that fan, Russia were the ones that made the reasonable choice. There are some, there are some, there are some amazing stories from the Cold War. There are a few times where we were on the brink of launching nukes against each other, and there were some extremely rational decisions made. So I wouldn't even necessarily consider them uh, hot-headed. I would consider Putin to be very uh, plotting, probably clever, probably a ruthless politician who has a, 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 a closet that makes Hillary Clinton look like a saint. But this demonizing doesn't seem like it's good for the overall American discussion. It's for, for our politics, for our people, for peace in the world. It seems like this particular angle is dangerous. And the fact that they are leveraging this boogeyman simply to win an election, when there's other things they could be going after that are absolutely legitimate, I think is condemning for the Clinton campaign. Because it, it shows how they're willing to play with world politics and play with a particularly powerful rival simply to frame Donald Trump a little bit more scary. And Glenn, where WikiLeaks fits into this picture with Russia, and then also if you could talk about uh, Ed Snowden. By the way, for the, those in the chat who don't remember, Glenn Greenwald is the journalist who published the original Snowden leaks. He's the one that went to Russia, or actually it was Hong Kong, sat in a hotel room, with Laura Poitras and interviewed Edward Snowden. He was working at The Guardian at the time. After he got all super world famous from the Snowden leaks, he went and launched The Intercept for the guy that, that uh, co-founded uh, PayPal. I mean, the, what I just talked about in terms of this tactic of trying to depict political adversaries um, as being agents of Russia, obviously, from the beginning of the Snowden reporting that was used to try and demonize um, Edward Snowden by virtue of the fact that he ended up in Russia, where he sought and then obtained asylum, um, even though he never intended to go to Russia, he was passing through Russia, and he ended up getting stuck there because the U.S. government revoked his passport on the plane from Hong Kong to Moscow. Um, they used 
use the, the they first forced him to stay in Russia and then use the fact that he was in Russia to depict him as some kind of a nefarious Russian agent. Um, and they've done the same to to WikiLeaks, especially since WikiLeaks disclosures this year. Yeah. You can watch the rest of the clip in the supporter sync. I want to move on since Mr. Chase is in route. Uh, we did uh, get a little Clinton mention there. I want to just follow up on a couple of Clinton clips for the overtime. This first one, though, is uh, not from Hillary Clinton. It's from Bill Clinton. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Papa Bear on the campaign trail in 1995. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country, are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. What? 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 Wait, is this Donald Trump? What happened? What just happened? All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country, are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more, by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. That kind of sounded like Donald Trump a little bit. It's funny. Seems like the Clintons' positions change a lot over the years. I guess that comes with the territory. A couple of uh, details did come out of those uh, new FBI papers that came out on the interview with Hillary Clinton. And I think the most interesting detail might be that she used 13 different Blackberries. It turns out that when Hillary got confused why the Blackberry wasn't working, she often demanded another Blackberry just be given to her. So the staff ended up with extra devices they had to destroy. We are learning more tonight about the FBI's investigation into the Clinton email scandal. And there are new questions about what happened to several electronic devices Clinton used during her time as Secretary of State. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge has tonight's update. From the 39 times Hillary Clinton told FBI agents she could not recall specifics about her emails to the claim that several hundred State Department employees knew about her private account, one of the FBI's most striking findings is that Clinton's 13 mobile devices, including Blackberries and iPads, are unaccounted for. Missing devices creates a hole in the investigation, and here it would seem like it's a significant hole in the investigation. You know, we heard a lot about uh, there was multiple servers, multiple MX records, 13 devices. Plus, you got to figure there was desktops potentially, too. I don't think for some reason they're not including like a, a, a laptop or a desktop. Surely she must have one of those, right? There's a lot of places for these emails to be sitting around. Were they using POP3? Were they using IMAP? How many of those emails are still sitting on some of these devices somewhere? Now, they claim that they're destroyed. But my gut tells me if I've had a, if I've had an email server for a long time and I've had multiple versions of it, I've I've built new ones, I've moved data centers, I've had tons of devices. Usually, there's something around somewhere in the closet or in a drawer somewhere that I fire up, and it's got all that old email on it. I mean, they deleted it from the server, but every single device she ever used that downloaded the email. 
because not only do you have missing devices, but you have the content of those devices, too. According to the FBI timeline released Friday, Clinton's lawyers said in February, quote, they were unable to locate any of these devices. The report also shows Clinton relied on multiple devices at once, toggling between her BlackBerry and iPad, which further discredits Clinton's original explanation. First, when I got to work as Secretary of State, I opted for convenience to use my personal email account, which was allowed by the State Department, because I thought it would be easier to carry just one device for my work and for my personal emails instead of two. This is a classic Hillary Clinton lie. Hillary Clinton, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, this is just, this is my experience. Hillary Clinton tells little white lies like my grandma did. These are these these little lies that are totally believable. They sound reasonable, like, oh yeah, no, my eyes are watering because I have allergies. I'm I'm chronically coughing for for multiple years because I have allergies. Oh, okay. Well, if if you just if that was the first time you ever noticed she coughed and the first time you'd ever heard that excuse, you start to go, oh, yeah, she has allergies. But when grandma's uses was grandma's, you've been using that excuse since two thousand and eight. That just starts to be the thing that grandma says that we all know isn't quite true. And when grandma says, well, I just want one device, well, we all thought, okay, she just wanted one device. But that wasn't quite true. It was obvious that wasn't true at the time. I mean, it was obvious when she said that. But because it's one of those just little white lies that sounds pretty reasonable, the American public can definitely agree with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know what she means. I hate having all these devices. Uh, You know, yeah, okay, that sounds reasonable. That sounds legit. And so she says it, even though it's not true. Just like she says she has allergies, just like she says she talks too much, that's why she coughs, just like she says, oh, I just want one device. These were all my yoga emails, even though there's no record of her ever going to yoga, and, and where's a single yoga email? They, when, even when they recovered the deleted emails, nothing in there about yoga. Supposedly 30,000 emails about yoga that she deletes, and not one email comes out ever out in any of all of this. Another white lie, a little innocent white lie which was allowed by the State Department because I thought it would be easier to carry just one device for my work and for my personal emails instead of two. The State Department emphasized none of the devices were issued or approved for government use. It's something for her and her staff to answer. all we can say is that she was never provided with a State Department BlackBerry. According to the FBI file, a laptop computer archiving Clinton's emails was lost in the mail, and at least two of Clinton's devices were destroyed by a longtime aide to Bill Clinton who smashed them with a hammer. A possible charge of obstruction would hinge on timing. On March 3, 2015, a preservation order was issued for the Clinton emails. On March 31st, the FBI found Clinton's legal team held a conference call with the IT firm managing the server, and in the same time frame, records were electronically shredded. Destruction occurred after Congress issued a subpoena for information. It occurred a day later, two days later, a week later. See, when Kami says there was no obvious intention, and of course the reason why there's no intention is because when asked, did you where, did you know these are mark, copy, uh, classified? Oh, no, I thought that was a paragraph marking. Did you know how you're supposed to handle communications over Christmas? I forgot the training on that. I forgot. I wasn't aware. I forgot. That shows there wasn't intent to violate the rules. There's the, there's the, that shows that it wasn't that she intended to violate the rules and mishandle classified information. It was that she was improperly informed and grossly, grossly negligent. That's what Comey said. But I believe this part right here proves that there was actually malice behind the intent because they deleted and shredded the files after the order for preservation. 
and in the same time frame, records were electronically shredded. Destruction occurred after Congress issued a subpoena for information. It occurred a day later, two days later, a week later. Why did it occur then? Then it becomes more curious and perhaps more relevant. Separately, the Republican chairman of the House Government Oversight Committee, Jason Chaffetz, has asked the U.S. attorney here in Washington to investigate whether Clinton and her team obstructed justice when they deleted the emails. Clinton told reporters today that she is not concerned, Brett. Catherine, there are new emails suggesting the Clinton team somehow fed questions to manipulate the Benghazi hearings in 2013. What about that? Well, these emails were obtained by the group Citizens United and show Clinton's media gatekeeper, Philippe Reines, wrote to Chelsea Clinton with an update on the Benghazi hearing before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The acting chairman at that time was New Jersey Democrat Robert Menendez. And the email reads in part, quote, we wired it that Menendez would provide an opportunity to address two topics we needed to debunk, her actions, whereabouts on 9-11, and these email from Chris Stevens about moving locations. We asked the Clinton campaign and the senator's office if they coordinated in advance of the hearing what was meant by this term wired and how these emails are consistent with independent congressional oversight. Both offices acknowledged getting Fox's questions but chose not to comment, Brett. Okay, Catherine, thank you. I, I what catches me and my attention about the end of that clip is that they are actively discussing 9/11 in Hillary Clinton's emails and and that that debunking 9/11 myths is going up to the head of the state department. The hell is that about? What the hell is that about? That's my tease for the 9-11 clip we have coming up to sort of, uh, you know, got to mark the anniversary. But first, I got to play this clip for you. This is Van Jones making a real ass of himself. And uh, Van Jones isn't the, uh, hold on, where are you going? Van Jones isn't the um, most interesting part. The people around Van Jones are the best part. Watch them. Yeah, the two candidates are in a virtual tie. Uh, we're also seeing that this 50% of voters say that Trump, they see him as a more honest and trustworthy candidate, 35% for Clinton. Does she need to get those numbers up to win? Well, she's, she's got to do something. I mean, uh, part of the thing is Trump, Trump has mastered the, the, the idea of being authentically inauthentic, right? He, everybody knows he's kind of, uh, you know, engaging in hyperbole and sarcasm or whatever. Now watch. And so they have, for some reason, decided to just gonna, discount him. And let, they'll pop back out to the multi-box. Let him just say whatever he wants to say and, and call him honest. Meanwhile, it actually turns out that Hillary Clinton, when you look at the fact checker, she's one of the most um, honest uh, politicians in America, according to the fact checker. So People there's, there's, there's a disconnect there. They're all chuckling. <laughs> that she's going to have to deal with. Okay. That's, that, I love Discount that. Discount him and let him just say whatever he wants watch, to say. And, watch their face. And call watch their him face. Honest. Meanwhile, it actually turns out that Hillary Clinton, when you look at the fact checker, she's one of the most um, honest uh, politicians in America, according to the fact checker. So there's, there's, there's a disconnect <laughs> there chuckle. that she's going to have to deal with. Now, so, here's what I think. I actually kind of agree with this statement. Only uh, I say she's the most careful. Uh, so even with her health thing, when she uh, when she was uh, doing Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel asked her, "Are you healthy?" She didn't actually answer the question. She didn't lie by not an- with the email. She said, "I never sent or received classified email marked as classified that I recall." A that I recall is is a super easy couch, but marked classified. That's the that's the key thing. Marked classified. She told people to remove the markings. Huh? There are li- there are times where she literally she literally says remove the markings and fax it to me or or whatever. 
She's very careful with her words. You see, she's been doing this for a long time. She's very coached. So she probably does, if you go by something that, tr- that rates the words you say, she probably does come out on top, I would bet. Not exactly the metric you go by, though, is it? So we got some oil things to cover, but I did say there would be a 9-11 clip. So let's do that. Remember those 28 pages? And 28 pages of information about the 9-11 attacks were recently declassified by the U.S. Congress. But one former U.S. senator says these pages are only the beginning of what the American public deserves to know. At a press conference this morning, former U.S. Senator Bob Graham said more pressure is needed to release even more information relevant to the 9-11 investigation. Information that he says has ties to the Saudi government. RT correspondent Manuel Rapolo has the details. Aggressive deception. These were the words used by former U.S. Senator Bob Graham to describe the handling of 28 pages pertaining to a 2003 congressional investigation into the September 11th terror attacks. At a press conference in Washington, the former senator from Florida explained that the release of these 28 pages serves only to open the door for more information that has been kept out of reach of the American people. The senator pointed to a 2011 report that found direct ties between 9-11 hijackers and a Saudi family living in Sarasota, Florida. Three of the four 9-11 pilots, including Mohammed Atta, had visited this house, but while the FBI knew this information, it was kept out of sight from congressional leaders, including Senator Graham, who served as chairman of the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee. The senator tells RT that there are three ways this information can now flow. What I think are the three most likely directions after the 28 pages are, one, following up on the leads that were in the 28 uh, pages, such as the role of the then Saudi ambassador to the United States, Prince Bandar. Second, uh, there's been information developed since uh, the 28 pages were written in the fall of 2002, such as uh, the existence of this relationship between uh, a prominent Saudi family, Mohammed Atta, and two of his uh, compatriots uh, in Sarasota, Florida. And then third, the litigation that is being frustrated by the uh, sovereign immunity defense, which the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has been raising. Uh, those are, I think, the three major channels in which we will get additional information on the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the 19 hijackers. Apart from pushing congressional representatives to release more information from the 9-11 investigation, Senator Graham is also calling for legislators to support the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, or JASTA, a bill designed to allow families of 9-11 victims to sue the government of Saudi Arabia. The bill has cleared the Senate and now waits for a vote before the House of Representatives. I can't, I can't quite square the logic on this one. I don't understand. If we have names and houses that the hijackers are connected to, we're willing to, um, to go to hell and back to get bin Laden, to track down al-Qaeda. We have been declaring, uh, we just renewed our state of emergency since, what was it, uh, since September 14th, 2001. Which gives, which gives the White House just basically king powers. 
So it's this massive egregious thing. We, we have these names, we have these contacts, and we're not investigating it further. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? There's obviously some geopolitics also involved with the release of the 28 pages and putting pressure on Saudi Arabia. Speaking of geopolitics, let's do a little more on the G20 summit. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Russian President Vladimir Putin have met on the sidelines of the G20. How about a little... So the G20, obviously, since it's a, it's a worldwide... Uh, well, it's a 20-nation affair. I thought, why not get some reports from outside our general coverage range. This is uh, Australian news. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Russian President Vladimir Putin have met on the sidelines of the G20. As the leaders of the world prepare to leave China, there is agreement on an economic plan, but still confusion over a solution in the Middle East. Nine's Charles Croucher is there. Economic security made way for global security on the sidelines of the G20 summit. Malcolm Turnbull spending his final night in Hangzhou, talking subs in Syria with President Hollande of France, and then the fight against Daesh with President Erdogan of Turkey. It's been a turgid few months in both countries. So interesting they're using Daesh in Australian news. There was one other meeting, a somewhat unscheduled chat with Vladimir Putin. Oh? Less formal than the official bilateral meetings of the last few days, but we are told the Prime Minister discussed the Middle East and the ongoing investigation. Of, now here is the interesting thing that they're not letting go. And I bet the chat room couldn't guess what it is. There is an issue the Australians still care quite a bit about that uh, has sort of dropped off the radar. Into the MH17 disaster. Not so much a shirt fronting, but a reminder Australia still expects answers. The Prime Minister flies out to meet Asian leaders in Laos later today. There you go. There you go. They're not letting it go. They're not letting it go. A little more G20. The G20 summit in China inaugurated what seems to be a new era in global power relations. RT's Daniel Hawkins focuses tonight on the subtle ways this became apparent. For our mundane world, it's gatherings like the G20, which work as a political barometer, reflecting global moods and changes. Take 2014's Brisbane summit, for example. Served him right, thought Western leaders, proud of punishing the headstrong Russian president for his quarrel with Ukraine. You know, I was just looking at the images, too. It was interesting. The, the Obama was off to the side this year. And uh, Putin was more in the center between uh, the French president and uh, Erdogan and right next to the Chinese president. And Obama was further away, next to, you know, Merkel next to him, but cut it down further in the picture. In stark contrast, their cheerleader, America's Barack Obama, received a star-studded welcome with a private helicopter sent to personally collect him from Air Force One. But it seems the sands of time have well and truly shifted. Two years on, and it's a very different picture. President Putin proving something of the headline act. And taking center stage in the photo opportunity. A different story for the US leader though. Not only was there no helicopter, there were no proper stairs rolled out for him either, forcing him to emerge from a trap door in the bottom of his plane. And the embarrassment didn't end there. A Chinese official attempted to prevent his national security adviser Susan Rice from walking to the motorcade as she crossed a media rope line speaking angrily to her before a Secret Service agent stepped between the two. It's our country! It's our airport! He's yelling at the press, and I guess they actually, uh, there is some people saying that Susan Rice cried. In the two. It's our country! It's our 
So what could have possibly gone wrong for the world's hegemon? Losing his main NATO allies. After the failed coup, Turkey's President Erdogan blamed the US for backing the masterminds and looked towards Russia. <laughs> I like that they, that's Erdogan and uh, Putin, and Erdogan's giving Putin the thumbs up. They're all buddy-buddy at the G20. This RT piece is really rich. Uh, but it, the optics of it are interesting. That is particularly interesting. As did the lady in red. The new UK Prime Minister, Theresa May, attended her first major summit. Seemed a bit goofy. Although her first meeting with the Russian president could have gone a little better. But Mr. Putin said Russia will go as far as Britain is ready to go, but won't impose its position. Chancellor Merkel, normally seen as the unshakable leader of the EU, seemed to have a slightly awkward time. People are laughing because they couldn't get their photo up right. Years ago, she was a powerhouse. Now, though, Europe's migrant crisis has left her on shaky ground. Well, two years has proven a long time in international politics. There may be many of the same faces, but they're having to face up to the fact that the world is not what it once was. Something tells me Obama isn't missing the G20 after this one. He's glad to be done with that. Uh, while we're on Putin, just briefly, I'll talk a little bit about oil. This now, this clip is probably better for the supporters' sync, so you can watch it on your own because it's very translation-heavy. But the first few moments are worth watching. Can I ask you about the oil price, your, your favorite subject? Almost two years ago, um, you said that if crude oil <coughs> fell below $80 a barrel, there would be a collapse in oil production. This is uh, a Bloomberg um, journalist, I can't remember his name at the moment, uh, interviewing uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, the price is still below $50 and production hasn't stopped. Has your thinking changed on that at all? Well, if I said that oil output would end, then I was mistaken. I don't, it's true, remember where I said that, probably just off the top of my head. But maybe I just don't remember. I said that new deposits wouldn't be commissioned at a certain oil price. Strictly speaking, that's what's happened. But maybe even surprisingly, our oil and gas companies, mainly the oil companies, are continuing to invest. He goes on to say that he is for a, a negotiated freeze with Saudi Arabia on oil output, uh, which is uh, causing oil prices to begin to change or actually stop changing, which will lead them to change. So oil prices will be getting um, – will be probably – will be becoming a, a story again very soon, I imagine. Why don't we uh, – let's move along. Let's move – hi there. Let's move along. Let's cover the uh, l the little follow-up to the Iran cash deal. For the, remember those hostages? Remember that deal that totally wasn't about finally giving them uh, access to money we've been holding on to for decades? It just totally coincidentally lined up with when those prisoners are getting released and had – well, OK, might have been used as leverage now they admit and yeah. But, you know, it was just $400 million. It's not a big deal. It's chump change. They've earned more in interest from we've been holding on to their money and – it wasn't, it wasn't hostage fee. It was leverage. 
Well, well, maybe it might have been more than $400 million. Welcome back to The Lead. New outrage on Capitol Hill today after Obama administration officials briefed lawmakers about two other cash payments to Iran. What? Sources tell CNN that in addition to the previously reported $400 million in cash given in conjunction with U.S. hostages held in Iran being freed, including Washington Post journalist Jason Rezaian, two additional cash payments totaling $1.3 billion dollars oh. were made as for hostages <laughs> <laughs> held in Iran being freed, including Washington Post journalist Jason Rezaian, two additional cash payments totaling $1.3 billion <laughs> were made, as first reported by this morning's Wall Street Journal. Republicans such as Senator Marco Rubio argued, quote, by sending the signal that hostages are a legitimate means of securing concessions from our government, the Obama administration has put countless American lives at risk through this payment. That's how we go. Uh, that's how we roll. As Rubio wrote in today's Tampa Bay Times, Obama administration officials note that the $1.7 billion belongs to Iran, having been awarded by the Hague Tribunal, stemming from the U.S. not delivering fighter jets that Iran had paid for before the 1979 Iranian Revolution. On- that's right. We've owed them this money since 1979. CNN earlier today, Deputy Secretary of State Tony Blinken acknowledged that no one can guarantee that none of the cash payment will end up funding Iran-backed terrorist groups. We can't say that not one single dollar will go there. What we can say, based on what we've seen so far, is that virtually all of it is going into the economy, not into the military. Critics say the transaction is tantamount to ransom, encouraging future hostage-taking, a charge the State Department denies. Rather, officials argue it was leverage to make sure the hostages were returned. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, you see, it's not encouraging hostage. It, it doesn't, it, I think it's just, it's only saying we're going to pay the state-based hostage prices. So you got to be a state. So if, if you're a state and you got our guys hostage, we'll pay the ransom. That's all. That's all we're saying. That's the precedent. That's fine. Right? Right? All right, here's something that is historical for me that we're coming up on. And I hope for some of you. I gotta play this just to sort of lighten the mood because this is, I think, a big deal. Space, the final frontier. Oh, don't get me pulled off of U-Tubes. It's Star Trek's 50th anniversary. Star Trek series. Hey, what's your name? They're both in Toronto this weekend for Fan Expo, a pop culture convention. Shatner says Star Trek has always been ahead of its time. And it's just an explanation, an attempt at explaining the mysterious, awesome things that we don't know anything about. The original television series only lasted three seasons, but Star Trek's popularity took off on the big screen. Fans flocked to movie theaters, in some cases lining up for hours to be the first to see the films when they were released. And they're still lining up all these years later. Longtime fans and a younger, new generation of fans who all share the same passion and excitement for this sci-fi series that continues to capture their imagination. I love it. I love me some Star Trek. I just uh, recently got myself three new Audible audiobooks. Three new Audible audiobooks. I I don't know. So, okay, Charum. Charum, it's your choice. You get to pick. What would you like before we get out of here? I got a clip set aside for Mr. Chase. You choose, Charum. Chris Christie dances, or Ukraine's largest TV station gets set on fire. Your choice, Sharon. Which would you like? Dancing or TV station set on fire? Leave your vote in the chat room. Now Mr. Chase has arrived here at the JB1 Studios. 
we'll be doing our last overtime clip of the night and then actually kicking off the show. For those of you that don't normally catch the overtime, we record this part out of order. This is sort of the pre-show if you come over live. And uh, then we put this at the end of the show. Christy dancing, burn the TV station, Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. I'm seeing a lot more Ukraine. I'm seeing a lot more Ukraine. Well, let's go with Ukraine. That's cool. So let me, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you last couple chances to get your votes in. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Yeah, all right, let me pull the lever then. All right, here we go. Here we go. Protesters who've been occupying one of Ukraine's largest TV channels, Inter, say they've now ended their blockade. Activists say they've agreed to leave after the channel's management promised to change its editorial policy to a pro-Ukrainian one. However, that's not yet been confirmed by Inter itself. The channel has been under a blockade for two days and has also suffered an arson attack following claims its coverage had become too pro-Moscow. The tire fire. Yikes, that's a nasty smoke, though. Holy shoot. We recognize that everything is on fire and many of our colleagues ran to the roof, to the fifth floor. They stayed there and were evacuated by rescuers. While all this was happening, I thought there were no casualties. But later I saw one of my colleagues in the ambulance. His face was black and somebody told me he breathed in smoke. So the TV channel was accused of being an agent of Moscow. The message was spray-painted on the wall surrounding its headquarters. Following the arson attack, the building was, being, was besieged by protesters who surrounded it with a metal fence and demanded that Inter stopped broadcasting. I don't like what happened very much, but I consider this the feedback from society over deliberately false and deliberately distorted content. It isn't what we all want to hear. It isn't what we all want to hear. Hello, Mr. Chase. Uh, good afternoon. Oh. Well, uh, hi there, uh, Mr. Uh, Clinton. Did you know, um, Mr. First Lady, I have a... Uh, Thank you. Thank I, you for uh, you know calling me by my proper title. <laughs> I, have a, I have a clip here, but I, I specifically clipped it just for Chase. Oh, well, you know, he's talking with the Secret Service right now. He's got to get recertified. Um... Chase's Secret Service? No, no, you see, the people that I talk to on a regular basis, they got to be cleared. Ah. So he's talking with them right now. Yeah. How's Hillary's health? (laughs) (laughs) All right, go get him. She's doing (laughs) Ah, I got to get some water. (laughs) It's good to see you, Mr. First Lady. Thank you for visiting. Uh, hey, buddy. Did he have one of those coughing attacks again? Yeah, he, he always, you know, and he, I think he couldn't open that bottle of water either. Uh, uh, so it's tough. It's I got a tough a, bottle. I got a clip for you because I know I know it's going to tug on your heartstrings. Uh-oh. So I, I set this aside. I've been waiting the whole overtime for you. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. This next year Peter will mark Bainbridge. 30 years Sorry. since I was named chief correspondent and anchor of the National, a position that's an honor and a privilege to occupy. It's been an amazing time to report our history, but... I've decided that this year will be my last one. No! I've let the CBC know that I'd like to step down from the National next July 1st. 
shortly after anchoring our very special Canada Day coverage for 2017. I know, buddy. I no, know. I like I know, Peter. I know. I know. Peter Mansbridge is the man. I know. I know. You know what? Fuck the EU. Oh, fuck that. Fuck the CBC. <laughs> you know, here, this might make you feel better. Maybe he could become a podcaster now. Maybe, he, <laughs> maybe Mansbridge will come on and I do our it. live election Patreon.com slash Mansbridge, right? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. It could happen. It, oh. it, crazier things have happened. Maybe Mansbridge will become a patron. Oh, I love that guy. Over at Patreon.com slash Unfiltered. Yeah, Thank man. you. I hope you guys have enjoyed the overtime. Thanks if, for joining us. If you'd like to be here live, go to JupiterBroadcasting.com slash Calder to find out when it's at. Then go to JBLive.tv to watch it. And, of course, if you're a patron... You go get all that extra feeds, go get those extra clips, go get all that stuff. Go back and look at that back catalogs. And if you're not a patron, you can still go over there and watch the whole damn live stream in its original recording order because I love you, and I'm hoping one day you'll sign up. They will, don't worry. I think so. They will. If you got value out of this show, you enjoyed it. it value you, for value. It made you think, got you fired up and ready to go. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week. See ya. That's how we go. Uh, that's how we roll. No, 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 no